Coming up next, it's Natalie Cutler-Welsh with her show, Up Your Brave. Community, connections, holistic health, and more on RCR. Reality Check Radio. People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all the separation, do we end up bringing people together again? And what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's been ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behaviour and patterns of behaviour? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up. Happy Friday, everybody. It's October the 13th, if you're joining us on the live stream, or maybe you're listening to the replay. Either way, you are here on the Up Your Brave show, and I'm so thrilled to have you here. It's all about inspiration, motivation, courage, connection, holistic health, and more. I am your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh, and I'm so honored that you've decided to join us today. I've got three amazing guests lined up. I'm so thrilled to share their wisdom with you. First up, we're going to have Janelle Fletcher, writer, advocate, MC, and celebrant on Bold Woman Speak, the written and spoken art of advocacy. Next up, we're talking to Tim Bean. Tim is a corporate speaker, executive longevity expert, and author, and we will be discussing the hard edge of health, accepting responsibility, how to, how strong people stay young, and more. And our final guest today is Vitality Coach Sophie Kaiser, also known as Sophie K, on finding joy and self amongst our busy lives. Before we get into those interviews, as always, some messages from our lovely listeners. We've got a message here from somebody. Thank you so much for emailing in. They say, Steve is honest. The government is criminal. Its participants will be held to account ultimately. So that's in reference to my interview last week with Steve Oliver from NZ Loyal. And it was a great interview. If you missed it, you can go check it out on our replay page. We've got another one here. Hi, Natalie. A most interesting interview. Thank you. Bridget's brilliant, wise, and knowledgeable. I would dearly love her to know the source, the designer and creator of all nature. I choose to worship the creator who satisfies the soul through Te Ariki, for with you, for with you is the fountain of life in your light. Do we see light? Psalm 36.9. That's from Jacqueline, an avid RCR listener. Thank you, Jacqueline, for writing in. And yes, that interview with Bridget on reconnecting to nature was amazing. If you guys have the app, you can go and listen to the replays on the app or simply reality check 
radio uh, and go and click the replays. Here's another one. Hi, Natalie, your listener about the truth saying one truth and the other is just an opinion. There are actually two truths. Your listener was very nearly there, but some words missed are that the opinion or belief is a truth to the person subjectively involved. We call it the subjective truth. To deny a person what they believe is the same as calling them wrong. However, the objective truth is more like a consensus of humanity, of the universe, and all that is. Objective truth involves all things. Subjective truth is relevant to the individual or small group. Thank you, Rob C. from Tauranga for sending that message. So interesting. Uh, I've got another one here from... Uh, Jan B. She says, hi, Natalie, just listening to your talk where Steve said that carbon dioxide is 0.4%. He's out by factor of 10. 400 parts per million equals 400. um, And that's a big difference. 400 by 1 million. Thank you for writing that in 0.04%. Thank you for the correction. (laughs) Um, And finally, we've got one here. Natalie, thank you in caps for this absolutely mind-blowing and empowering conversation. Wow, I'll be sharing this one with quite a few people. And that was sent in last week. I'm not sure if that was about Bridget Resonate or Joe Webb. It came in just before 12 o'clock. Thank you for writing in, everybody. Um, Speaking of amazing people, I'm actually going to be holding or hosting an Up Your Brave online networking event Uh, at the end of October. So you can check that out on upyourbrave.com if you want to connect with other amazing like-minded people, uh, as well as my people who are coaches, speakers, healers, etc. And of course, some previous guests from my show. We've got election night coming up, of course, and the election night webinar that RCR is hosting. We've had 2,000 people already register. If you are a foundation member, it's free, but you do need to register. If you're not a member, that's no problem, but you do need to buy your ticket. You can do it all on the app or the website. And we've got now, before we go to our, our first guest, a little bit of a giveaway. My lovely co-host here on RCR, uh, one of the uh, fellow hosts, Marie Buskey, hosted a, a great interview, and she talked to Gad Saad, a professor of marketing from Concordia, um, who was on her show this week, and he is a cultural icon with hilarious YouTube channel, podcast, etc. And he joined Marie to talk about his new book, The Sad Truth About Happiness, and that's spelt S-A-A-D, which is his surname. If you'd like to go in the draw to win a copy of Gad's new book, The Sad Truth About Happiness, all you need to do is text the word happiness to 2057-2057, or you can email in inbox at realitycheck.radio. And if you want a bonus entry to win, you can add a happiness hack and let us know in 50 words or less uh, a little happiness hack that you've got. So we look forward to hearing from you and that winner will be drawn um, are contacted by the 18th of October. So entries will end on the 16th of October. Now, before we go to our first interview, I wanted to make a mention that so many current events happening in the world, tragic events happening in the world, and I'm sending genuine love to anyone affected by war or fighting or hardship of any kind. But I also wanted to remind everyone, in my view, uh, that sometimes what we're being shown is not what it actually is, is not what it seems. So a reminder to be discerning. And if the last three years have taught us anything, it's that we are constantly being told what to think. Um, And so much division is created as a result, either division or distraction, and the result is disempowerment. So um, just a little reminder there, take it all with a grain of salt. 
And but I'm sure that my the messages from my upcoming guests are going to help us to all to feel a bit more empowered. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Up Your Brave show here with Natalie Cutler Welsh on Reality Check Radio. And my next guest is the lovely Janelle Fletcher. And we're going to be diving into the topic of bold woman speak, the written and spoken art of advocacy. Welcome to the show, Janelle. Thank you, Natalie. It's a long time since we've met up, since I was emceeing some of your go-to girl events. Oh, so exciting <laughs> to see you again. Days? It's been so many years and um, I'm just excited to hear personally, I'm excited to dive into your backstory so that I can hear what you've been up to. And I love how synergistically the world works and how we it brings people together again. So it is amazing to see you. For those of you that don't know Janelle, Janelle Fletcher is a feisty mother lioness and dynamic people mm -hmm. engager, doing good in the area of promoting, advocating, writing, having a bold voice, and inspiring through words, kindness, and her spirit of generosity. She thrives on being of spontaneous and generous service to those she meets in her humble but powerful capacity as writer, MC, advocate, promoter, and celebrant in addition to her day job, where she also gets to do her magic. Variety is her spice. Fabulous at promoting social causes and being people's biggest cheerleader and their vision for a better world, she has been a bold voice in her own community during the events of the last four years. She bubbles over offering ideas that make such events, community, and humanity-enhancing initiatives fly and have more impact. Oh, you sound like my kind of lady. She has written <laughs> ads... She has written ads, flyers, and articles for local rags that educate and enroll people into the cause. She has a slick way of fundraising and resourcing those events on a meager budget while maximizing the efforts. Her bringing together of people and helping them step up in their strengths satisf satisfies her desire for collective community growth. With her linguistic and storytelling sass and engaging and interactional pre presentation style and skills, she can help you write engaging content, bring your event to life, and power up your presentation and bold voice skills in business or for your cause. Her monthly Wild Woman Circle fills her cup, as do international movies, intercult intercultural inter uh, interactions, and her new life as an off-gridder. Yes, you are talking to me today from your very own off-grid yurt. Um, <laughs> how's that life going? Uh, this life is absolutely amazing. For people who want to go off-grid, the freedom that it offers is uh, amazing. To have no one that I can see from my beautiful window here. I have the beautiful natural elements out here, the Clutha River, beautiful land and uh, peace and quiet. It's a great place to be doing the good work that I'm doing. Yeah, and what a lovely balance because you are such an outgoing, engaging, vivacious mm -hmm. person. This is what I remember from you when we met. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm feeling from you when we speak. Give us a little bit of a backstory. Like, how did you get to this point of what you're doing now, impacting lives while living off grid? How did it all come to be? Well, my life story, to be honest, um, Nat, has always been about me looking out for people who feel invisible, who don't feel seen, who feel discriminated against, um, who feel alone, who feel underrepresented. So I have, since the moment I was a, a Six years old, I remember. I was always the young girl um, growing up in the church, for example, where we were of service to people. So we'd go to the psych hospitals and see people, and I'd always be the one that would move away from our group and go and say hello to somebody and make them feel special. I'd go into the old 
people's home and I would go and hold that old woman's hand who potentially is, you know, about to die. So, you know, my church background was a big one in terms of service to others. So I was always looking out for those people who, uh, you know, were perhaps struggling in life to be seen, to be heard uh, or to be valued. Um, I uh, also professionally um, started out as an occupational therapist. So there again, um, my advocacy skills there, I thought actually I was no good at my job, but actually in hindsight, um, I had people come up to me years afterwards and they would say, hey, you were the listener. You actually listen and advocated for those people. And the sort of places that I was working in um, in that time were in mental health. I was in a psych ward as my first job. Uh, I was in... um, a home for young pregnant teenagers. So I was really advocating for their um, decisions that they personally wanted to make in life, you know, even when they were so young and about to have their baby. I was in um, schools um, advocating for kids with disabilities. So I was always about helping them really know for themselves what they needed and um, helping them have the bold voice to ask for what they needed rather than being railroaded into what they, uh, you know, what people thought they should have. And um, on that um, note of disability, I also have um, six kids, so I um, (laughs) advocated a lot for for all my kids, but um, especially one who, my second child, um, who is in a wheelchair, so she's been 30-something years in a wheelchair. There was not a day that went past that I did not advocate for her in one way or or other. So it was um, in regards to what she needed um, physically, but also in regards to her having a chance to do what every other person in this world is allowed to do. So it was, you know, a lot of my life to date um, has been behind um, individuals to really get heard, to get seen and to get what they want and to have a voice. Um, Equally, it's been about um, supporting more charitable and service orientated uh, organisations. So um, in my capacity as MC um, or event or organizer or event ideas generator. (laughs) What a journey. And it just feels like that is just who you are through and through. It's what you've always done. But I see that you do it in so many different ways, like from behind the scenes, working on the maybe the copy or the wording for a promotional pamphlet, for example, Mm -hmm. through to like standing at the front of the room being no problem being, you know, the one in the center of attention. It's interesting. I I don't go to the center of attention. And that's an interesting one as an advocate, because I, um, I love to call myself a humble heroine. And what I mean by that is, yes, I'm on a stage in front of the people and the attention is there, but it has nothing to do with that. It has absolutely nothing to do with that because the way I engage with the crowd and the audience is about them feeling seen and heard. Mm. Nothing about me. It's interesting, the verbiage, because... um... You know, some people do not want to be, you know, we and you know, we can use in the limelight, center of attention, mm-hmm. everyone's staring at them, that mm-hmm. type of a role. But f- today we're talking about bold women speak and we're we're talking about, you know, speaking out. So some people like you and I are comfortable in that position. And like you said, and I'm the same, I've always yeah. said, I don't want to be famous. I just yeah. want to change the world. Yeah. And, th- and I, so I hear you when you say it's yeah. not about being a center of attention. Like I'm happy to be but I don't need to be, you know, and if if that's what's needed, then I'm happy to step up, step in, speak out, whatever. And I feel that same energy from you. My question is, do you feel that more people, and I suppose women, but more people in New Zealand are becoming more bold and more confident in speaking? And I don't mean being MC at events. I mean, speaking their truth or questioning what doesn't feel right. Do you feel like there's a rise in that area? I still think there's some reticence. I still think there are a lot of elephants in the room, to be honest. 
what um, I do personally is start to engage with that person and open up that room and start to see that elephant in a gentle sort of one-on-one interaction. That's how I'm doing it. Is that is that what you mean by the the wild woman? I think it was the the circle that you do. Is that what you mean by bringing out people's views? Uh, that's not or do you just mean in like daily conversation? But I, I have a day job, for example. I'm in a jewelry shop, but I actually call it the healing shop. <laughs> Funnily enough, because I get to have wonderful interactions with mm. people there. They're going through different events in their lives. And I'm the one that listens to their story and then starts to open up that conversation, starts to open up those questions in terms of some of that advocacy work that I want to do. So as an example, I see quite a lot of sick people arriving in store or people starting to tell me that they're sick. And I just don't accept that story of that they're sick. I start to have those open conversations about, oh, I'm curious as to what's made you sick, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a quite a leading question, but it's an important question. Yeah. How is that? How are you being supported in that? Um, so that's the way I do it. One-on-one interactions is a lot of the way I do. But equally saying that over the last few years, I've done uh, numbers of um, community events here. Um, and being a bold voice in the community. So have done that behind the scenes and being there on the night um, as an organiser and being behind the cause. Where is here, for those people that don't know where you are geographically, where well, are here you? Here is Wanaka in the South Island. So gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. So we're a small town. So, you know, one of the things that um, has been interesting is um, easy to be in this community because it's a small community and to you know your your show is up your brave mine's all about being bold you know so um in your words before it was about you know speaking out um i call it speaking out and being outspoken (laughs) we're good at that um you know standing out um and being outstanding you know i think there's um it's interesting just getting back to a small town that um, I've had really had to be bold in the last, even bolder in the last couple of years because people do know me and sometimes a voice is not that well liked or cherished. Let's just pull it that way. We can be I, I imagine, you know, it is interesting. We can in, be. And that happens anywhere, but geographically, I imagine, in a small town where kind of everyone knows yeah. everyone and um it is a little bit, it's scary for people, but maybe scarier in a smaller town where you're like every, if I speak up or if I question something, or if I even, you know, have a certain political sign on my fence or whatever, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. are people going to, then I'm kind of putting my cards on the table and how's that going to come back on me? But also, and I don't know if you feel this, but it's like, how is that going to reflect on my teenage kids or, you know, or my, my, you know, my family members? Has that been something that's affected you? Like holding back a little bit or editing your thoughts a little? No. <laughs> no, I've just already claimed my space. I mean, my kids are no longer here, but I've advocated for my kids over these last few years. All six of them have made massive, massive sacrifices for the choices that they've made. And I've really loved to have shared their stories in front of people so that they too get to hear um, how people have done it differently. So um, for me, I think in the last year or two or three even, um, it's just given me this wonderful opportunity to really uh, accept that I am different accept that I am bold, accept that nobody needs to like me <laughs> or, or be aside, aligned with my views. But for me, my truth of who I am is important to, to live into. It's as simple for as the that. People that are listening, for the people that are listening and might be thinking, well, you know, that's awesome. That's cool for you. I, I don't feel that way. I would love to be more bold. I would love to be more outspoken. I would love to not care so much what others think. Do you have any 
words of wisdom for us, for those, uh, for that, those people that feel like they would love to be a bit more like that. They they are holding back. Any guidance for them? We are not here to be accepted. That's what's coming intuitively. We are not here to be accepted. We are here to shine our light on the world. We are here to shine our own truth. And personally, my joy of living comes from that. My joy of living really comes from that. I, um, I'm loving seeing people at the events having a voice and and that's what I love about the way that I engage with people in events as well. So just to give you a bit of a rundown of some of the things that I've been up to in the last four years. So this will give your audience some some ideas. So mm. I did lose my job at my um, my day job at um in tourism. So that was a, a turning point for sure. Um but what I loved about the advocacy that I did there, I said, hey, I'm about to lose my job, but here's what I do still stand for, and that is that you don't stand at the door asking for a vaccine pass. Mm-hmm. And yes, I lost my job. But no, they didn't go down that route. So I won in that sense. And it's not about me winning so much as I advocated for something that was super important. So I think, you know, back to your question, we just have to go with what that stirring in our heart is and that knowing that what is within is. Yeah. I turned up at the library, for example, on the day that they asked for the vaccine pass that first day. And I said, here's my card. Yeah. Some of the ways is not in our voice that we can be advocates, but it's in our actions. Here it is. I quietly handed it over. And then she asked the question, why is that? And I had that opportunity. So I opened the door for that conversation. What card are you handing over? Your library The card? library card. Okay. Because it wasn't allowed in the library. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I went down to the what we called the Freedom Green in Monica. So as the Wellington protests were happening, for example, we decided as a, as a community of freedom fighters that we would go down every day at lunchtime and stand there for an hour. So that, again, gave a peaceful representation Mm. of us standing for our truth. And, again, that didn't need to be one-on-one conversations in that context because a lot of people didn't want to be next to us. (laughs) Um, But we stood there in solidarity. So sometimes it's not about doing on your own. It's about about having people with you who will support you and be be soldiers together, essentially. So that's, um, you know, we don't have to go it alone. we have arrived at community, um, let's call it council meetings, for example. You know, again, when we get ridiculed or when we get um, told to shut up or quieten down or, or um, you know, let's wrap up this meeting, we've, we've sat in. Okay, so sometimes it's a quiet stance. Yeah, sometimes we just sit in. We had another example of that recently where we weren't given a chance to ask questions at a school meeting that was really important to us. And they wanted to close the meeting before we even had the opportunity to ask the questions that were important to us around the whole gender issue, for example. And so we decided that we would just quietly sit there and not leave for the evening. That is another great way. Silence is a great thing. You just sit there and they start to notice. Ha <laughs> ha. I love that because the topic is bold women speak, but here you are highlighting the power of silence as well. Total power of silence. Done it many a time. It's also really powerful when you're an MC or when you're a speaker, that whole silence thing, because it just allows people to be engaged in that interaction and that conversation where they get to have something thrown at them, challenging them, for example, or a new idea. 
And then the pause as a speaker is so powerful because in that moment they get to work it out for themselves or see where they sit in that situation and scenario. I think it's a wonderful technique. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. How else have you used your um, event skills? You've got such a repertoire of skills. How else have those come in handy in the past four years in alignment with this advocacy that you're doing? Well, the event skills, I mean, there are so many parts of um, of creating a more impactful event. So I think anybody can pull together an event, but it's actually the, 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 the house of an event. So... Um, I put it together really well. So I'm a wordsmith. So that's that's a very useful skill that people have called upon me for. Um, so that, for example, when writing flyers, when writing promotional material, when writing an article for the local rag. So I've done, you know, numbers of those things in the last few years that have been really impactful. Um, and again, um, we were just getting back to that question about having a voice. Some of uh, some some of your listeners may not be so articulate in words out loud, but they may be great at writing or great at writing their ideas. And this mm. is a fabulous opportunity for people to write. It could be a letter to the editor. It could be an article for the local rag. It could be, you know, whatever it is. It could be a post, a blog post. Um, but written word, you know, is powerful and it's documentation, you know, it's documentation as well. Um, that people can continue to read. Um, so what I'd say about that, uh, my um, experience with that, we've had um, some of the local regs say no to my article mm -hmm. or no to a title um, or no, we're not going to include that. Uh, we don't want any part of that. There is never a no in my, word, my world as an advocate, never. There is always a yes. Okay, so what I'd say to your listeners is keep going. If there's a no, there's a detour somewhere there. As an example, we had a no to our family first event with Bob McCroskey recently. They thought that was a little bit um, challenging and confrontational and not appropriate in their words. Yeah. Well, yeah. to me, it was highly appropriate that we talk about families thriving. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So they said no to that. I was like, well, what the heck? This was one of our main means of getting to the bulk of our town to invite them to this event, which was going to be so powerful. So we get the no. So it's like, what the heck? That particular night, and intuition works well in this one as well, that night someone approached me and said, oh, hey, look, I've heard about this guy over the hill in Queenstown who might be able to help you out with something. And I went, I, don't, I had no idea what the something was, but I thought I'm going to in this moment be bold, be brave, and ring this guy up. Well, he, in the end, helped us out with um, the financing of an ad. I went back to that, uh, back to the local newspaper, not the one that said no to us. And I said, I want an ad in the paper. How's that going to look? We got a quarter page ad on page three. And that is what brought people in. So what I'd be saying there is don't have a no, find the yes. <laughs> There's always a yes. And that written word is something pretty powerful as well. Sometimes they won't... Um, they won't publish it, but I also think that even if they don't publish it, the editor of that newspaper or the editor of that local rag has read it. So there has always already been that seed planted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. and there's, there's already been some provocation. And I think, you know, a lot of people um, in this field, and certainly in my example of the last few years, have been really um, challenged by that. There's a provoker in the room. Someone doesn't agree with it all, you know, Do doesn't agree with the whole message that we're trying to share. I always say, welcome the provoker. Because when there's a, provoca a provocator or a provoker, let's call them, when there's someone like that in the in the room that 
does not like what is being said and maybe heckles or or challenges in the Q&A, for example, like I said, a lot of people don't like that. I love it. It's like, bring it on because that provocation helps people cement in their own minds what their own personal beliefs are. They'll either go, yep, I'm totally behind that person or no, that's, that's far from who I am and what I believe. So I love that. Another thing that got quite a few no's lately, but lots of yeses, was um, t- two movies, The Sound of Freedom and also mm. River of Freedom. Did they play those in Wanaka? So Sound of Freedom, yes, I went to see that uh, about a month ago. Obviously uh, an issue that's um, you know dear to my heart, um, being a mother um, and knowing a lot of what's going on around the whole agenda um, in the world. So, yes, that did get a screening, um, which is fabulous. Um, the River of Freedom also got a screening. It was on the same night as one of these other events. So it was wonderful that we both got really good attendances. Um, so Wanaka has been very open to that. And I am very, very grateful to the local cinema who did that. Mm. And there's a backstory to that, actually, because when the whole lockdown, you know, let's lock people out of coming to see the movies and, you know, turning up at a hairdresser, for example, this particular cinema had to, chose to, not had to, chose to uh, not allow us unvaccinated into the cinema. So week one of that, for example, Nat, I rock in there and I say, hey, uh, my son's got his birthday coming up. Uh, he wants to uh, invite 10 of his mates to uh, to a movie that's, you know, the new release. Um, he happens to be unvaccinated as, as his choice. Uh, how can we get him here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, again, it's that pro- it's, it's not. How, yeah, it's it's how can we do this? Not how can't we do this? Yeah. So that provoked a discussion and they, too, um, with their decision around closing. And, you know, it was pretty much forced upon them, really. They even had to sack their own son. Oh, now how hard is that? How hard is that? So more recently, I went back to there and, I, you know, I congratulated them because their son was back there. So that was a good thing. I also congratulated them that they've turned their mind around and actually seen the light through some of this palaver that we've been through in the world. And they've cho- they've chosen to um, to feature River of Freedom. We've had, I think, three nights already. I think there's another night tomorrow night, and Sound of Freedom was definitely one of those as well. So well, well attended um, and very well received. I love that message. There's always a yes. And that's such a great reminder for us because so often in life when we think – we have something we believe in or we want to do something and it's a no, it's like, oh, well, and actually you can do it. But the way that you seem to do it is like, how can we make this happen? It does ha- it has an air of positivity and possibility rather than anger. Like some people might resort to some of those negative frequencies. How do you stay so high vibe? How do I stay vibe? Whew. Uh, it's a choice every morning to stay high vibe. Passion is um, who I am. So, you know, I embody passion pretty well and enthusiasm. Um, I hate boring. So um, why be boring? Um, (laughs) Why be boring? Um, I have a good lifestyle. So I have a very simple lifestyle and that allows me to, you know, have this variety of things I love to do. So for me, variety um, keeps my energy high. I don't do a normal day job in and out for years and years i love um, all the different um events that i can create for sure and i like short-term projects so that keeps me um 
high vibe. You must be a well. manifesting generator. Are you? I am a manifesting mm-hmm. generator. I can I can manifest something out of nothing. <laughs> and that's been one of the gifts in my life. You know, I, I'm not well resourced at all. People look at my lifestyle, for example, and the way I am and go, oh, wow, you've got it all. And I go, I've got it all. Go, I've got zero dollars, but that's okay. I've got it all. I've got a very, very, very rich life. And um you know, I'm very proud of that. And um, but what that's what's what it's taken to to do that is to be resourced, like you said. And um, I believe the challenges, particularly particularly through those life experiences of finding a way for people. My my advocacy is all about how can how can a person have more or of the life that they want? How can they live it better? How can they live it without regret? How can they live it? relieved of suffering actually that's the big one that's a really big one i hate seeing people suffer and i'm all about people feeling free and having having rights and and having a voice it's as simple as that and you get to do that it's so interesting when you were telling me about your day job and people come in and i guess they just open up to you because you're that type of person but most people i imagine would respond to them saying they're sick with like oh goodness that must be so hard like sympathy mm-hmm. you know reaffirming their victimhood or whatever and but you're like hmm i wonder why that is and you're you're thought provoking totally that's so that's that's an interesting one and thought provoke provocation you know comes from what i've learned particularly again over the last few years is i say ask a question rather than give a statement or a point of view so I would say 80% of my conversations in my day job, for example, and even in my event work, is a question. Because that engages them and there's, a, there's an interaction factor in there where they feel seen, where their opinion is valued, whatever that opinion is, without judgment, but just how wonder, you know, wonder what you're thinking. Here's another great example, Nat. We were at a, um, the council meeting that w- was an open council meeting, and we wanted to talk about the resources in the library, for example, that we thought were totally inappropriate for our young children. So very sexually explicit, yes. gender ideology related, for example. So we went with a specific goal to to talk about and to question, you know, um, how appropriate they felt that was and, and what we could do about that. It was really interesting because... Um, one of those um, council members, for example, um, wasn't – I could see him race out of the meeting before it even started, and I thought he was our biggest challenge, potential challenge, because we were talking gender, and he's an openly gay man in our community. I, we thought that he would be quite challenged by what we were saying and that we would be very, very, very challenged back. He ended up not being at the meeting. It was only at the end of the meeting, after we'd been hushed a little, that he came back into the room and it was like, hmm, that's interesting. And then I thought, how can we use this opportunity to have a conversation? So he could see us, we could see him, and I eyed him up and I said, hey, come on over. We had the most powerful conversation, 30 minutes, in fact, um, a very, very open conversation, non-judgmental. He learned something from us. We learned amazing things from him. And we, we, we each came out with a heightened perspective of each other's perspective. And I think advocacy is about that. It's not about ramming my opinion down someone's throat. Harshly sometimes, I see that out there. Mm. It's not about the protest action against. It's about how are we growing to a fuller understanding of what this issue is about. 
And how great that you were able to have the time available, like 30 minute dialogue, because sometimes you hear people, you have to go in, you've got to present, you've got five minutes only, mm-hmm. and it's very rushed. Um, so that is a credit, I suppose, to the council you were presenting to. Well, not well. to the council, to the councillor. We were hushed and quiet and, and, and cajoled and told it's what a lot of what we were saying was rubbish and laughed at. We had all that mockery. Right. Sure. But again, back to that whole, you know, how can people, um, you know, be as strong as you, Janelle, or be as bold as you in voice? It's it's actually not caring a damn, really. Not caring at all about about my purpose is stronger than what people care about me or think about me. Yes. My cause is more important, you know. I've had, some, I've had quite a lot of stuff thrown at me um, where I could – you know, fall in a blithering heap and, you know, cry and be feel sorry for myself. But no, I rise. I rise because I choose to rise. Because you're here for something greater than what other people think of you. Yeah, absolutely. So in that council meeting, yes, we, you know, we could have felt like we weren't heard. There was an element of truth, a big element of truth to that. But the gift in that was that one-on-one interaction with that gentleman and he was the right gentleman to be having that conversation with because I would have loved for him to be along at the Bob Murkowski event actually as a gay man we're not talking anti-gay in that conversation you know that Nat yeah of course yeah absolutely nothing about that it's about that explicit material to kids and so we were able to ask him for example you know what do you think about this Uh, you know a seven-year-old for example being you know explicitly showing some very very sexual content he went oh my god no well no that's not okay you know when we went down the gender question he said you know at at a very young age he's going well well, no and so well so what what was your story what was that about so you know i think advocacy too just just hearing my own voice here is is around storytelling it's around hearing somebody's story because the story has that emotional component to it as well. People have lived it, breathed it. Um, and it's important to hear that because that is such a backstory to any of our opinions on any issue in this life. Huh? It's our backstory. For those, for those people listening, we would love to hear what's resonating for you in this interview. We're talking to Janelle Fletcher. We're, our topic is Bold Women Speak, the written and spoken art of advocacy. Let us know. You can send us a text, 2057, or email inbox at realitycheck.radio. What do you advocate for in your life? You don't. Maybe it's not as proactive as Janelle. Maybe it's more subtle. But what are the issues that you feel strongly about um, and you're willing to speak up or to write something about? What are you advocating for? What's resonating? And if you've got any questions or what you're loving from this interview, definitely definitely let us know. Um, Some previous interviews, I kind of sometimes do, if you like this, you'll also like that. Some previous Uh interviews that we've done that really relate a lot to this topic as well. Uh, We've done one with a woman named Elizabeth and we looked at, and also Sheena Malley, we looked at what are they teaching your kids Uh in sex ed class? What are they really teaching your kids in school? I got so much pushback from that topic, but I also had so many people saying, thank you so much for having the courage to cover it. We also spoke twice with Penny Claridge, who many people know her video went viral when she went and presented to the board of trustees around some of the similar concerns around the gender ideology that's really being pushed in schools. So you can go to our 
app, by the way, we've had 10,000, probably more by now, um, 10,000 downloads of our of the Reality Check Radio app, which is free. It actually doubled our numbers in a, in a week, our listeners, which is amazing. So you guys can go and easily look up on the replay page. Um, you can either type in Penny or Elizabeth to find those interviews, or you can search by topic as well. Um, Janelle, I wanted to ask you something else about the uh, your terminology. In the bio intro, you mentioned something like dynamic people engaging. Mm-hmm. What exactly yeah. does that mean? What is it? So um, I was inspired by, I think her name is Sally Hogshead or something like that, American woman. Um, and she uh, she asked to invite people to come up with an anthem for themselves. And so when I sat with my spirit, I went, what is it? Who is it that I actually am? So dynamic people engage. I am all about people. So um, that is my prime, prime gift, my prime motivator in life is to always hear people's stories. Um, the engagement, what my skills are, my superpowers are, which I'm discovering more and more and more is around that engagement. So how do we engage more with people in one-on-one interactions? How do we engage with people, um, every single person in a room, even if we've got a thousand? Yeah. How can we make that event not just inspirational, but interactional? Because Mm -hmm. I think with interaction, that is where change happens. Yeah. It's not just about being inspired. We've got to have people taking action, but interaction where everyone feels valued and part of that conversation and that new change in the world. And the dynamic part, um, I think my occupational therapy background actually gives me this dynamic part. So what this is about is in every interaction, there's a consciousness about who am I speaking to? And so therefore my choice of words, my choice of tone, my choice of speed, my choice of, you know, slang or not, you know, so there's this dynamic. So I, for example, would never give, if I was a speaker going out and speaking on a subject, I would never give the same speech once, uh, more than once. Yeah. It would always have an element of difference for every single one based on who my audience were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a dynamism. And even um, in my one on interactions, who am I speaking with? What is their age? So how would I speak appropriately with them and that they get me and we get each other? How would I speak with them if they're from another language? So that, that how do I choose my words so that they fully engage in that conversation, even with a limited language? So in my wedding work, for example, you know, I have a lot of people from other from other countries. So I had an Argentinian wedding, for example, on the weekend. Awesome. Most of them spoke Spanish and I don't speak Spanish. But as an ex-language teacher, I know how to choose and be dynamic in the way that I um, present and, and, and be celebrant at that wedding. Yeah. So dynamic people engager is what I personally really relate to um, in the way I am dynamic, enthusiastic, passionate, and change and consciously mm. change a lot of things depending on who I'm with and what that context is. And it's a fine art to still be yourself while still adapting or being in rapport or, mm. you know, still making an effort to connect with different audiences or different individuals. Um, it, and all around, I love that what you said about inspiration is great, but it's about inter interaction for a dynamic totally, totally. result. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, I'd love to ask you this. These are some questions I ask every guest. What is one thing that you've done in the last year where you truly upped your brave? Well, I've upped my brave in all those community events. Well, some, you've heard some of them, but there were far more than that. So that was a that was a big one. Um, up my brave and going off grid, um, not because it's hard, but because I was um, had no resources, but um, 
lived into the belief that I could have um, a beautiful home finally to come home to. So that's been a big up my break. So cool. And this, so you're in a yurt at the moment. Is that where you're living? I am. Absolutely. Absolutely. So cool. You guys, I'll take a photo of the two of us and you can go and check it out on my, on my Instagram or my Facebook page up your brave. What about the bucket list? Do you have something that you would love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime that we can possibly help you with? (laughs) Well, my personal bucket list is to go to France because I want to, um, increase my lovely linguistic skills in French. Um, and also with a French partner, I just want to take him home and hear his story. So on a personal level, that's going to be uh, mm-hmm. one of my bucket list items for the next year. And uh, that's super important for me to go and do. Um, in a professional sense, I want to be offering, and the numbers I'm feeling into are six to 12 people who have a stirring in their soul to be behind a cause mm. to really help them in, in different ways. I want to help them, you know, get back to what is their life story and therefore what is their stirring. I want to help them to write well. A lot of people don't know how to write, um, you know, have that cause that they want to be behind but not um, great at writing. So I want to be behind them and to write richly, to um help them with any content that they're um, wanting to put together, any flyers, any communications that they want with their um, with the audience. And also just being um, such an event, um, avid event uh, person, uh, I would love to help them be behind that cause and put an event together. So six mm. to 12 people in the next year, and I want to help them bring about and bring into fruition their cause, their social cause or mm. their humanitarian-based cause. Okay. That sounds, both of those sound amazing. So speaking of you going to France, I'll put the invitation out there. If there's anyone who has a a contact who has an event that they want, or they want an MC or a celebrant in France. um, So this is going to be a paid (laughs) holiday. (laughs) Love it. You can get in touch with Janelle. And also if you feel the stirring in your soul and Mm. you would love to have the courage to be bold and create an event and get your um, your social cause written and and expressed, mm. then Janelle mm. is your woman. How can they reach out to you? How can they connect? Uh, I do have a website, so www.janellefletcher.com. Okay, amazing. Are you on, what socials can we look for you on to? Uh, I'm on Facebook, but I don't do that professionally. I have a personal Facebook page, but feel free to um, be in touch that way. Otherwise, my email details and phone details are on my website. Amazing. Easy. JanelleFletcher.com. It's pretty easy to spell. It's J. J-A-N-E-L-L-E-F-L-E-T-C-H-E-R.com. Nice. And what what's coming up for you in the next? So we talked about what's gone on for you in the past wee while. What is coming up for you in the next like six months or so? What's coming up for me professionally or personally? Well, both. Well, both. All of the above. I am. I have um, been so active this year in uh, advocating for others. My next three to six months are more advocating for myself. Mm. After thirty years of parenting, after giving to everybody, uh, the next six months are really me stepping up into my own personal self care um, and my own personal pleasures, <laughs> as well as doing that other good stuff for other people, like helping them. <laughs> 
That sounds amazing. And it sounds also like it's coming from such an empowered place. Quite often what people do is they have what I call, um, I didn't coin the phrase, but it's very accurate, generosity burnout. Mm -hmm. And so from you, for you, it, you haven't got to the point of burnout or exhaustion, but you're like coming from this empowered place going, mm -hmm. I, for the next three months, I'm going to focus on myself and it's going to be amazing. I love that. Mm, absolutely. Sounds <laughs> good. Is there anything else you would like to share with our audience before we go? What could that be? I'm just thinking back to a book I wrote a few years ago. And what's coming? I think I remember what it was. It's something like this. Frolic in the sea of difference. Don't float in the sea of sameness. If ever there was a time to mix things up and do life differently, it's definitely now. So that is very timely <laughs> advice. Tell us a little bit about the song. So what we're going to do straight away after this, mm -hmm. we're going to go to a song, a song that you recommended, which is called I Will Fight For You. I think it's by Andy Grammer and Ch the Children Choir. Andy. What is this song about and why did you choose it? So music is such an important part of any event that I create and or any any event that I'm behind. So I'm always asking for song choices that really tie into some things. So um, while we were organizing Bob McCroskey's event, for example, uh, Family First, uh, that is one song that was so totally relevant, as was Hands uh, Hands Up Our Children. And we actually had um, Jordan May arrive recently. Mm. Um, so this song, I Will Fight For You, just I love it because the, there are those kids with this adult who totally and utterly believes in them. He totally and utterly pulls out their enthusiasm and pulls out their passion. I just love that and gives them a, a, chance, a chance to be heard as they sing that song together. And a mighty powerful message, a mighty powerful message that I will fight for you. Um, there is a backstory to that and people can go and look at that. But for me, it's about fighting for our children. I will always fight for my children. I would die for my children. And I'm not happy about what's going on for our children in the world around a lot of issues. And I'm here to help them. I'm here to help them thrive. And I'm also here to help the parents. Amazing. Help the parents Amazing. Be parents. Because I think you're right. You called yourself a mama lioness, you know, at totally. the start. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, but sometimes they don't know what to do. So if you're just, people can follow your lead, they can get yeah. in touch and follow you. Um, thank you so much for being an amazing guest today, Janelle. Total. Thank you, Nat. Welcome back to the Up Your Brave show. Thank you, Janelle Fletcher, our guest who was just on. If you missed her interview, catch it on the replays. This was the song she recommended, and it's so beautiful. In our interview with Janelle, where we talked about advocacy, among other things, we, we she asked the question, what is your stirring? And she said, there's always a yes. She's lovely and so enthusiastic and so perseverant. She said, there's always a yes um, when you're asking someone or when you're advocating for something that you truly believe in. She also talked about the power of silence, how we don't need to always be speaking, how we can sometimes have comfort and power in silence. She also talked about looking out for people who feel invisible, and she's been doing that her whole life, and that we are not here to be accepted. We are here to shine our light on the world. Girl, you are speaking my language. She also talked about inspiration and interaction for her amazing dynamic events. You can find out more about Janelle, janellefletcher.com. She's also on Instagram. She's totally amazing. She's down in Wanaka. Um, and it's just amazing for me to reconnect with her again after many years. She used to MC my events, my go-to girl events back in the day when I had hundreds of women. 
gathering for networking events. Janelle's a powerhouse, and it was just an honor to have her on my show. Thank you so much, Janelle. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Up Your Brave show here with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on Reality Check Radio. And my next guest is Tim Bean. We're going to be diving into the topic of no excuses, the hard edge of health. Ooh, sounds exciting. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you so much, Natalie. A great pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to dive in and chat with you today, Tim. Tim, you and I met probably eight months ago or so, and we're both from the professional speakers area, and we met, um, and I'm so excited to hear what you've been up to. I know you've been jet-setting. For those of you that haven't (laughs) met Tim before, um, he describes himself as an executive longevity specialist, but he's been known in London's social circles as the merciless Mr. Bean. Ooh, we're going to dive into that too. With over 30 years at the top end of international health and wellness industry, he's worked with celebrities and social high flyers, and his corporate clients have included seven of the world's 10 biggest investment banks. Corporate speaker, TV presenter, and radio show host, he has also written several books, the latest of which, The Wealthy Body in Business, has been released worldwide. He is currently based in Timaru, where together with his wife, Anne, he owns and operates Performance Health Club, a large gym which notably stood against discrimination and remained open through the madness of the mandates and the V-passes. Recently returned from a lecture tour overseas, please welcome Tim Bean. So good to have you on the show, Tim. Oh, that's terrific. What? Uh, well, what an intro. <laughs> where do we go from there? Well, you know, it's funny. I've been trying to pin you down. I think ever since I started my show six months ago, I was like, oh, be great to get Tim on the show. I do believe in divine timing. I know you've been a busy man, not just busy, but jet setting all over the place. How are you? Um, Like, tell us how you got to this point uh, in being the go-to guy. And I want to hear a little bit more about the merciless Mr. Mr. Bean. Bean. Tell us a bit of backstory. Oh, well, uh, yes. Well, First of all, let's let's set the scene. Um, I'm I'm not someone that's always been super fit. I'm not someone that's always been super healthy or in great shape. Uh, there was a time early in, in my teens where I was very sporty, but then I sort of got lazy, got into a job where I wasn't doing much, eating a lot of takeaways, and yeah, I, I ballooned out to I think it was 122 kilos, uh, and not an ounce of it was muscle. And that was at the age of 25. Mm. And I recall I went to my doctor's for a medical for the insurance. Uh, and he turned me down on it. And I, to start with, I was baffled because I think I was living in complete denial that there was anything wrong with my health uh, up until that point. And uh, as he said to me, he said, well, look, your your cholesterol is 9.7. I haven't seen a level of 9.7 before. Uh, blood pressure was 150 over 110. Cholest- um, uh, and body mass index, but your, the BMI rated me as morbidly obese i also had a strong history of heart disease in the family and also diabetes so it was kind of a perfect storm and the doctor looked at me and he said you're quite mad you know living the life you're doing you you are not going to be alive to see your 30th birthday and looking back with what i know now i think you'd be absolutely correct uh so that was that was a line in the sand metaphorically for me that i sort of drew and then stepped over and and swore i would never go back to that sort of lifestyle now, there's been a couple of times where I've sort of erred on the other side of that line every now and again. Um, but by and large, that was the turning point in my life. 
And uh, that culminated in my wife and I getting together and opening our health club here in, in Timaru Performance Training Company, as it was back then, in 1990. And uh, by the time we got to 1998, we had built the membership up to over a 1,000 members. We had just won an international award for top performing health club in Australasia. And in 2000, we decided we wanted to go overseas and do a, a six-month sabbatical, go around all the big clubs in the States, pretty much see what uh, protocols, what what things were going on in the industry, possibly any ideas that we could maybe pinch and, and bring back to, uh, here to New Zealand. So we went to that and did, did the big conferences, the big URSA conference, and our son and daughter-in-law were over in the UK at the time, and they said, well, kind of be rude of you to go home and not call by and see us. Uh, so, so we went via the UK and ended up staying there, um, which none more surprised than us, really, um, principally because once we got there, we realized that in the industry, as we were sort of doing some research in that area, their facilities, all those sorts of things were absolutely top notch. But the protocols that they were working within the clubs with personal training, with nutrition around exercise, kind of went backwards when we were comparing to the U.S., methodologies and protocols which tend to lead the charge in the health and well-being industry so we ended up staying there uh, and my wife was uh, working in the in the health clinic at the harbour club and i was in charge of the of the fitness side of things there which would be probably the top club in london at the time uh, notably um, princess diana and the two princes were members there at the time and um uh, various other notables and celebrities you know top models but also top flight business people um, serious, high-level business people. And we got to know them, but also to understand that underneath, their problems were the same as everybody else's in terms of juggling a busy lifestyle, a stressful lifestyle. How should they exercise? When should they eat? What should they eat? What about their sleep patterns? All these problems were the same. So when our tenure at the Harbour Club finished, <clears throat> which was a temporary position, we started doing some consulting work and getting alongside people and saying, well, this is what we think you should do. And we started getting really amazing results. So we started working with some of their executive teams in some of these big companies. And in 2008, when the global financial crash uh, happened, that kind of came to a very abrupt stop. People were saying, well, I, you know, we just we don't know if we've even got an executive team next month. So we're just going to put a pause on that. And we had to think, what can we do to reach more people uh, at an easier gain and, and within a budget that's reasonable for them as well? So that's when we decided to turn, or I decided to turn into corporate speaking. So I did a few training courses and those sorts of things. Anne was already a prolific researcher and writer and already written hundreds of articles on, on, on the subject. And so I started that side of things, and I've discovered I really love it. I really enjoy that engagement with an audience and, and doing the Q&A afterwards and getting alongside people, and um, and it has been very good to us as well, I have to say. We've been very privileged. We've I think we've traveled and spoken in over 27 different countries, and that is ongoing now that we've come out of this whole um, this paralytic fear of lockdowns and so forth that's embraced the world in the last uh, two to three years and things are opening up. People are so hungry for live events again uh, and to hear people's um, on-the-spot opinions of, of of the subject matter you're talking about. So that's where we are today. And, and as you said, we've just come back from a, um, a, a medical conference in Thailand, which I think was three days, no, four days, 
uh, 70 lectures in there. And for a change, it was great just to actually sit in the audience uh, for most of that and, and absorb the information. And that is primarily where we can tap into the latest cutting-edge research from the world's top doctors, um, professors, scientists, researchers uh, on health and well-being and, and the messages that they're containing, the latest research, how can we distill that into useful things for our clients and for people that we're engaging with? And so that's pretty much what's got us got us here today. Uh, and, and, and being back in New Zealand, we moved back just before the lockdowns in 2019, or late 2018, sort of on a more steady basis. We have... Um, three grown-up children and eight grandchildren now. So we thought, well, we, we don't want to miss out on those years because you can't buy those years back if you're away. Uh, and it's been wonderful being here. We rebooted the health club here, which had, had actually closed down. And uh, and life is good. Life is good. We've, we've sort of been here. We are extremely worried with the direction this country's going in at the moment. But my bigger worry is the condition of the health of the people of New Zealand, because that over the last three years particularly has been seriously, seriously, not just neglected, but I think, uh, and it's just my opinion, I think it's been abused. Uh, and and I think people, people are desperate to do something to get into a better shape and to build their own resilience and their health and their well-being um, for a longer, healthier, active life for whatever's around the corner. You talked about when you were younger and having that appointment with the doctor, which I'm going to call a reality check moment. Do you think the last three years for Kiwis, you know, in terms of the health piece, has been a bit of a reality check or a wake-up call for us in terms of not just our own personal health, but the health system? I think so. There's two, there's two conversations. I hear all the time that what was previously the DHB is under a lot of pressure and we're, we're chronically underfunded and we have limited resources and we don't have enough staff and the facilities are poor. A lot of the equipment's outdated. Um, people can't get appointments. And, and they're saying that the system is not geared to cope. I think that's partially true. I think the bigger problem is that we're experiencing a huge overwhelm in sickness and disease in the pub, from the public. Uh, and the system that was coping perfectly well beforehand is struggling and groaning and breaking under the pressure. Uh, so I, I think in the in the light of that, definitely some things should have been put in place to to build and rebuild and strengthen and reinforce the system that we have. But I think there's many aspects of the system that need a complete rethink. Uh, I'm not sure that it's as, as functional as it should be in terms of patient-specific individualized medicine and the opportunities for particularly GPs to to to, to follow that path um, rather than um, having generic protocols that everyone is dictated to follow, whether that's good for the individual or not. I think that's a serious mistake. I think the other thing is um, we have to come to the understanding that, that um, if you think about it, our physiology is one is an ancient physiology. And our DNA hasn't changed in the last 100 to 150,000 years. We, we are today who our hunter-gatherer ancestors were all those years ago. And if you think about it, that's correct. Our skeleton's the same. Our musculature's the same. Circulatory systems, endocrine systems, nervous systems, everything is still the same. What has changed is we are now hunter-gatherers <clears throat> And we're surviving and, and trying to live in a concrete jungle. Mm. Uh, and by the way, I should say that's a concrete jungle of our own making. 
Uh, and this is where we're starting to get a lot of problems because there's responses and the things that we do in this new environment are not necessarily congruent with how our system is geared to operate effectively. And this is creating a lot of a lot of the problems that we see. I think we need to come to the understanding that this, this is a marvelous, marvelously capable physiology that we have, that we're in possession of. It's 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 incredibly valuable. And if we can come to the understanding that it's our job to take care of it, not anybody else's, not your doctor, not your physio, not your chiropractor, your yoga instructor, personal trainer, health guru, whoever, it's your health and your job to manage it effectively, the same as anything else that goes on in your life. And this is where I think uh, a serious misstep has occurred because not since the the, the um, a whole crisis began, if you call it that, in 2020, I think 20th of March, we started our first lockdown. Uh, not since then has the um, the Ministry of Health, the Minister of Health, the Director General of Health, uttered a single word about actual health. I mean, if you think about it, they've, they've changed the conversation, I think hijacked the conversation and made it one of safety when we really should have been thinking about health. What are things that everyday New Zealanders can do to boost their immune system and get into a healthier state? Because right from the start, we were told and we were aware and we're still aware these sorts of things are failures of the immune system to deal with with the invasion of whatever is a virus or or, or um, uh, any other pathogens that come our way. And our immune systems are failing, but nothing from the government at all. All it was about safety. Now, imagine if that conversation had changed. And instead of saying, you know, keep a safe distance, uh, um, you know, we need to do this particular thing to, you know, keep keep grandma health, um, keep grandma safe and all this sort of thing, keep yourself safe. What if they said, do this to keep grandma healthy? Mm-hmm. Then you suddenly start to think of two things. Well, we need to do things to keep grandma healthy because clearly that's something that we need to boost up in a high risk population. But second thing is whatever the protocol is being put towards us, isn't doing that uh, and therefore is a nonsense. And so that's our mission now is to sort of say, well, listen, let's let's reset that conversation and say, what can we do to rebuild our health? What can we do to get to a higher state of health where we're more robust, more resilient? Uh, we have greater defenses against anything that's coming our way. But there's a lot to undo and then there's a lot to rebuild on the back of it. So that's our main thrust is trying to help people to to come to terms with that and then to get their health up to a higher level. Well, let's dive into that because I, I, I wrote down, you know, proactive versus paranoid because there was no messaging on how to be proactive in terms of the food that we're taking, you know, having us going out into the sun. It was all around, you know, safety and fear and that type of thing. So you've been to all these incredible conferences. I think you said you went to 27 countries, which is just amazing. Um, given what you gleaned at those and the many years of your own personal experience, can you give us some tangible things, proactive things that people can do? Anything that's a little bit different from what, you know, we might already know, but some proactive things that people can do to raise their immunity or to stay healthy. Um, so they, before they get to that point of, um, getting unwell. I I think the first one is, is, just to summarize what we just covered is don't abdicate responsibility for your own health to anyone else. 
I think that's the first step. Once you accept responsibility and accountability for your health, that changes the internal conversations you'll have in your head. Uh, and you will be able to keep your eyes wide open for opportunities and things that you can do to start uh, or rather to stop doing things that are negatively impacting your health and start doing the things that will positively impact your health. I mean, we, for years in the fitness industry, we've been guilty of saying to people, look, this isn't rocket science, you know. <laughs> All you need to do is get more exercise, eat less food, you know. Move your legs, shut your mouth. It's not that tricky. Um, but in fact, it is a little bit more complicated than that, and every human being is different, which is why I think, you know, a lot of diets fail if you take that on board. You see, you could go on a diet to lose weight, um, and most weight loss diets work while you're on them. But that's the same as getting on a bus. That implies at some point you're going to get off. But in my case, when I came off a diet, and, I, and I've been on every diet under the sun, honestly, I tell you, in my, in, my, in my journey to lose weight, I spent about two and a half years and actually ended up putting on more weight than I lost overall until I woke up to the fact that you can't have a lean body and a fat head. Now, as long as you're thinking, as long as I was thinking like a fat guy, that would never change. And so every time I came off a diet, I'd just go back to what it was that was making me overweight and, un and unpleasant and unhealthy in the first place. And, and so that just, that just didn't solve anything. It was just a vicious cycle. So I think if people can get in their heads, you're responsible. The second thing is uh, there's very much a connection uh, between how you think and your behaviors. If you start thinking differently, your behaviors will respond accordingly. And that's when I found the struggle started to uh, started to become a lot easier. It almost became second nature. The thing that made the most initial impact was I started going to the gym. Now, hear me out on this. Um, I wasn't really particularly a gym bunny at all. Uh, and you can imagine 122 kilos or 118 as it was, I think, when I first started going to the gym, uh, wearing sort of cycle pants and a tight lycra top wasn't wasn't the best fashion look for me. So I wasn't motivated to go to the gym particularly. And the gym tended to be all the lycra brigade or the meatheads. And, and that was the, the kind of people who went. And so it was quite enlightening to go to a gym, which was World Gym in Christchurch, where they were very much open to anybody who wanted to get in shape, and they they were able to to set you on a path. But I found the weight training was the thing that made the difference. And since then, alluding to what you said earlier, Natalie, is all of the conferences that we go to, and particularly the medical conferences where I'm invited to speak, I also get to sit in the audience of that. And the message that comes across very, very clearly is strong people stay young. Strong people stay young. So we're talking about longevity here and your capacity to function in an engaged way as you age. Now, I think there's, there's a difference uh, between um, being alive and being kept alive because everybody talks about, you know, we're all living longer. If you look at the evidence, we're not necessarily living longer. We're just taking longer to die. Now, that upsets a few people's thinking. But that's correct. It just seems that earlier and earlier we're becoming reliant on on medication, on operations, on all these sorts of things, just to keep us going until, uh, you know, in, in, in the end we 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 peg out. But it doesn't have to be that way. We need to take, as you said, a proactive approach on this. Uh, and the beauty of of particularly lifting weights is it has other spin-off advantages. Yes, it will make you stronger. It will improve your posture. It will improve. It will also improve metabolic capacity. It will also improve your ability to move. 
Um, we know that frailty is one of the key indicators for, for an early death when it comes to aging. And we also know that over 50% of people who go to a care home or a rest home or an aged care facility, there's nothing medically wrong with them. They're just simply frail. They've lost the strength to be able to get in and out of a bath, in and out of a car, up and down stairs, even you know carry their groceries, walk from the kitchen to the living room without tripping on the carpet. And we have seen so many studies where a, a specifically designed program to improve strength in a balanced way over the whole physiology not only improves posture, it eliminates things like back pain, poor energy, um, but also enables people to live a more active life and therefore remain functionally independent. So my advice to people would be if you do one thing exercise-wise, if you've been doing absolutely nothing and you're really not in great shape, then definitely just start maybe by walking to the letterbox and back, extending that out. But I would suggest we start thinking about getting stronger first. We have a, we have a saying uh, in the club, and, and, and I, I have in my lectures, build before you burn. Now, one reason is metabolically that just makes sense. If you're in the workout and you're doing weights, do the weights before cardio, never the other way around. Uh, and again, that flies in the face of what a lot of people do. Um, but I'm appreciative that probably a lot of your audience are already in the gym. If they're doing those sort of workouts, always do weights first, cardio after. There's a lot of science. It's another half hour lecture in behind that. But essentially, it means that you're, you're lifting weights with high glycogen levels where you can lift weights effectively and therefore get a better result from that. If you do cardio straight after that as part of that workout, your conversion to aerobic is much faster than if you're doing it from cold at the start. And when you finish, you still remain in fat burning mode for another 30 to 40 minutes after. And we call that the big fat bonus. Uh, so there's an advantage to doing it that way. And when we have clients doing the build before you burn routine, we notice their results are an awful lot faster. They're able to build muscle instead of wear muscle down. Uh, and uh, everything seems to pick up at a much faster rate from there. We also know, and here's an interesting side that is more recent, research by Professor Dr. Maria Fiataroni Singh from the University of, of Sydney, uh, where she was doing a study on weight training and the prevention of frailty with aging, also discovered in those candidates that lifting heavy weights was uh, led to a 50% decrease in depression in those candidates and was as effective as the default medication in treating depression. So that is absolutely earth-shattering. If, if this study is followed up by more peer-reviewed studies and, and validated correctly in that regard, this will turn the management of mental health on its head. Because here we have so many things, even the, even the um, painkillers, opioids, all those sorts of things which are designed to, to, to um, assist people in these sort of uh, conditions, but also psychotropics and all the drugs that people are on who are supposedly depressed. Um, here we have a simple exercise strategy which, would, which has no uh, downside. There are no side effects that are, that are negative. Uh, with lifting weights and getting stronger, but will totally bring people to a better place of mental well-being. Uh, and if this is correct, and, and I'm convinced that it is from my own experience and from the clients that we have, uh, this could be a major, major strategy. I'm going to jump in there because I absolutely agree with you. I feel like the health culture, and I can only speak for New Zealand because I've lived here more than half my life now, 28 years or whatever. Um it seems to be, you know, write a script and pop a pill, right, is quite often the go-to uh, advice or the go-to guidance from 
you know, doctors, mm-hmm. I would say, in my experience. And I think that, yeah, when we have such a huge medical, um, mental health issue here in New Zealand and further afield, something like not just saying exercise, but the research that you just mentioned about the weightlifting and the impact that can have on happiness, depression, it sounds like a game changer. You know, do you think that's something the government will wake up and start to fund something like that? I don't know, because it's becoming, it's becoming a much more significant portion of government expenditure in the health budget. As the management of it. but also what's ignored is the societal impact of this mm-hmm. if you're a member of a family where somebody is suffering from clinical depression and we have to understand there's a number of aspects to this there's also a lot of chemistry going on in the brain which uh which, which is an essential and an influential part of of this uh of this condition and people who suffer from depression will know that it's not just simply a matter of saying oh come on sort yourself out pick yourself up by your bootstraps and box on and those sorts of things. There's there's a lot of things going on at different levels. Our belief is that if you can look at the foundation of health and well-being, and if you look at the spectrum at the bottom, there's the the physicality of health and well-being. Then there is the emotional aspects of health and well-being, emotional health, and then mental health, and then spiritual health, which is all about people's ability to achieve what they want to in life, to achieve their, their why if you like. Um, It all starts, though, at the bottom, at the foundation. Uh, And if you can bring somebody where exercise-wise their body is functioning in in a great way, that also means then that their organs, and particularly the organs and and the glands that produce their hormones, will put them in a better emotional state. Serotonin, dopamine, melatonin, all those things will be in much better balance if the body is running more effectively and efficiently. And there there is no longer the influence of other factors which is clouding that and, and creating some of these problems. Um, I'm particularly concerned about the consumption of caffeine and turing from energy drinks in our adolescent population right now. Uh, And this is affecting their mental health. Turing, T A U R I N E. Um, I think the statistic was 30,000 adolescents last year were admitted to American hospitals from turing poisoning. And combined with caffeine, is having a devastating effect on their systems. Um, Particularly, it's it's overamping. Uh, in fact, it's destroying their adrenal function and 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 uh, and their ability to manage stress uh, and to effectively achieve balance. How that affects us as we're older? Well, most of our hormones, our, our steroid hormones that make us alpha males and alpha females, uh, if you like, once they pass the age of 30 to 35, are no longer made in the ovaries and the testes, but are now made in the adrenal glands. So if you're in a state of chronic stress where cortisol levels are always high and elevated, as many people have been in the last three years, and you can argue whether that's we've been deliberately put in that position or not, um, the, that elevated cortisol has been suppressing the production of testosterone and estrogen that make men men and women women. Uh, and I think what we're seeing is a decline in the polarity of that. And where we're starting to get more effeminized males uh, and less female dominant females, and I think this sort of this I don't know what you call it this androgenesis, if you like, uh, is a dangerous thing because it's changing the way people can respond 
um, not just under stress, but respond in their relationships with other people, in their relationships in the workplace, in their ability to even just deal with the simple things of life, you know, how to manage their bank account balances and how to shop for groceries. And people are becoming more disenfranchised with their with their physiological identity. I think it's a very, very dangerous thing um, because there doesn't seem to be much uh, conversation and any will or drive from the health system and therefore the government to do anything about it. You would almost think it was deliberate neglect if you were to take that sort of view on things, which I do. I, I think it's more than neglect. I think there's a deliberate thing going on. And you could factor in, you know, where I've, I've heard um, a lot of your wonderful interviews with, with people that you've had about the education system and what's going on there. And I think that's all part of it as well. But from my perspective, from health and wellbeing as, at, at a physiological level, there is a lot we can do to start turning that around and reclaiming back our biological identities. Well, I'm so glad you addressed that. And you're right. There's so much going on around that gender ideology in terms of um, education and influencing education, infiltrating education, I'm even going to say. But we, what we haven't heard a lot about is the nutrition side of it. And you're right, these energy drinks. And I've I've heard about you know soy milk or chicken if it's not free range, you know, that has possibly with extra hormones. Is is this all adding to that kind of androgyny possibly um, of the impact of some nutrition on how people show up in terms of their phys physiological body? Oh, absolutely. With, without any question at all. And, and even this drive under the guise, which I think is a total fraud of, of um, the urgency of climate change. Is the climate changing? Yes. Is it urgent? Is it critical? I, I don't believe it is. Uh, when you look at the macro statistics going back not just a hundred years but thousands of years, then then this is what we see is quite a a normal thing. But behind it is this drive to um, kill the farming industry, and we've seen the attack happening in the Netherlands, which they've been fighting against, and, and this is happening in the UK and globally, worldwide. When we think of it, you know, even things like a steak contains really essential vitamins, nutrients, minerals. For example, steak is as has most people think steak, you know, a piece of steak or a lamb chop, well, that's just protein and it's fat, right? And so therefore it comes from an animal. If we don't want to have so many animals, you know, burping and farting, then we can get rid of them and just get our protein and fat from other sources. But Listen, red meat also contains calcium, copper, iron, magnesium, phosphorus, potassium, selenium, zinc. It has choline, which is the same thing that's in egg yolks, which is really, really good foundational building blocks for your brain. It's got omega-3s, very high in omega-3 in New Zealand because we have free-range pasture-raised stock. Um, but also on the vitamins, it's vitamin K, vitamin E, D, B12, B6, uh, folic acid, zinc, niacin, Interestingly, it's also high in riboflavin, thiamine, and vitamin A, which are ingredients that we see added into processed, highly refined breakfast cereals. Mm. Um, why do they add it in? Well, because the processing and the and and the the refining process destroys all those vitamins that would otherwise be in a natural product. So they then have to add them back in. And in fact, when you think of it, most breakfast cereals are completely nutritionally not only deficient but dangerous. Uh, because they have an inflammatory effect uh, on our body systems. You can track back the point where cereals became a big thing through companies like Sanitarium and, and uh, um, uh, the founder of, of that kind of thing, Kellogg, who essentially had an industry producing grain-based cereals to replace 
um, meat-based products and so forth that people were eating for breakfast. And that's that's why, arguably, mm. cereals have taken such a foothold. But they're anti-nutrients. There's, there's three things that will knock us out in life, and that is inflammation, oxidation, or degeneration. So essentially, we'll either burn up, rust out, or fall apart. Uh, and so the inflammation thing is is probably the most dangerous because that's where we see the start of a lot of inflammatory diseases such as uh, cancer, for example. But it also affects our gut biome, and our gut biome is responsible for so much of our well-being, and the gut is directly linked to the brain. And so what goes on in the gut goes on in the brain. Uh, and if we're talking about mental health, your mental health is going to be determined by your gut health. Your gut health is determined by all the micronutrients, enzymes, all those things that you consume in your food. I think if we're going to address that, we need to start we need to start thinking that we should be eating food that's grown on a farm, not that's made in a lab or, or in fact processed in a factory. If it comes out of a packet, if it's got a list of ingredients a mile long, it's probably not food you should be putting into your system and expecting a good outcome. Yes, you can eat that thing from time to time, but just don't expect a good outcome from that. As simple as that. Wow. I mean, a lot of people will know that some foods, you know, are better than others. I'm not I'm not a cereal girl myself. I'm more of like an eggs benedict person. You know, I have like salmon and spinach and eggs like that's my breakfast all the time. Um, but, you know, interestingly, I used to be vegetarian for 15 years when I was 16. One day I suddenly went cold turkey, pun intended, and did not eat meat <laughs> for 15 years. Um but and my husband went from being paleo to being vegan, uh, which he's been for about seven years. And I've gone the opposite. I just went back to meat, and um, well, I just eat everything, anything, and everything. But I hear what you're saying. Sometimes a lot of those products that have had everything stripped out of them are going to add to the inflammation. So I'm hoping for our listeners that you're getting some great insight. Tim, as you can tell, is a wealth of knowledge. I know we could take this conversation in so many directions. Um, you can text us. Let us know what's resonating for you. Let us know what you've learned. The text is 2057 or email, if that's your vibe, inbox at realitycheck.radio. Tim, the topic today is no excuses, the hard edge of health. Is that really around accountability? Is that what you mean? I know you've mentioned accountability, taking, accepting responsibility. Is that what you mean by the hard edge of health? Yes, I think it is. Uh, we've, I call it the hard edge of health because this is not about the soft edge of health. Mm. And I think you look around, you see plenty of people practicing the soft edge of health, and it is not working. It's not working at all. So we need to actually uh, sit up and pay attention and look at the facts and say, gosh, this is heading in the wrong direction. What can we do? We're going to have to swallow some hard pills, and I mean that metaphorically in terms of how we behave around our own health. As I said, there's no help coming, so don't, don't be looking to the government or your doctor or GPs for, for help. They've got seven minutes to see you, and when you go into the doctor's surgery- And they're surgery, just going to write you a script, in my opinion. Well, well, what choice do they have? Because most patients, and and you know, we, we talk to people on a daily basis, they go to the doctors, they have something wrong with them. So the doctor has to sit down and download all the symptoms, the ailments, the complaints of the patient. They have to then analyze that, try and figure out what's going on, and then say to the patient, okay, what you need to do is go to the gym, sign up at the gym, start lifting weights. I want you to stop eating this processed food, start eating whole meats, fresh proteins, fresh vegetables, organic, you know, uncontaminated vegetables. And uh, and you will see over the next, not six months maybe, but 12 months, three years, five years, you will come right and your health will restore itself. No patient is going to accept that. They want something that they can go away with a piece of paper in their hand, go to the pharmacy, pick it up and feel better 
that mm. afternoon. Mm -hmm. And that is the problem that we have as is, is part of our expectation. So if we say to people, no, 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 you are responsible for your health. You are accountable for your own health. The actions that you take will determine your own health. Then people start thinking a little bit differently and think, well, oh, okay, so what do I need to do? And when people stop and think about it, most times they can come up with two or three things they know they are not doing so well or are doing that they shouldn't be doing that they could stop tomorrow that would see almost an instant improvement in their health and well-being, whether it's their energy, whether it's staying up late, you know, watching TV, playing game, watching Netflix till midnight, then wondering why they get up at six o'clock in the morning to go to work and they feel more tired than they went to bed. Mm. Well, duh, there's a reason for this. You know, we need we need to start um, getting smart about how we behave with ourselves. And most people are smart enough to know what's going on, but a lot of people simply build a wall around that and live in denial and think, well, you know, I'm fine. I'm I'm not in hospital. You know, I'm not really, really sick. You know, I'm, if I take these pills, I'll be fine and I can manage. But honestly, Natalie, that's not life. That's not what life is about. And there's nothing that's made in a lab that you can put in your mouth that doesn't have a side effect, that doesn't have a consequence. Just look at the label, open the medication you're taking, look at that sheet inside it and read it and you will see you know, maybe maybe there's a better way of doing it. Is is there something? Our medical director in the US, Dr. Sergei Zugin, has a phrase, and he calls it acquired physiologic errors. You, in most cases, you weren't born with these things. Something you've been doing has created a physiologic error. In which case, uh, that can be undone, perhaps, if the damage hasn't been too great. And when it comes to aging, it's a, it's a similar sort of a thing. If we regard aging as being a bit like standing on a down escalator. And, and as we head towards the bottom, all at the same pace, uh, all the nuts and bolts that have held us together kind of come loose and fall off by the time we get to the bottom, and that's the finish. Um, but there are some people, by the way they live their lives, seem to be walking down towards the bottom faster than everybody else. Uh, we know that 80% of the things that knock us out early or create disability and disease that affects our lifestyle and ability to live a, a functional lifestyle into old age, 80% of those things are what they call lifestyle factors. So these are decisions that we've made, the environment that we live in, those sorts of things, over which we have some control. So if we were to start identifying that and saying, look, I'm going to do that a bit differently. I'm going to cut down drinking five coffees a day and maybe just have one. I'm going to stop drinking alcohol every evening with dinner because that's that's actually a really dangerous thing to do. And just maybe save it and have a glass of wine at the weekend. Save it for special occasions. I make sure I go to bed by 10 p.m. because that's going to help reset my circadian rhythms and give me a much more restful sleep. I'm going to go to the gym and lift weights because that's going to change a lot of things about my physio physiology and my, and my chemical composition. All these little things that, that we call little clicks, the things that you can put into your lifestyle, will start making a difference. And that would be the same as if you turned around on that escalator of aging and started walking back up towards the top. Mm. Is it easy? No. Aging well is not for sissies. This is something you need a bit of a backbone to do. You need. You to have so many good catchphrases. I mean, I my audience knows I love a good catchphrase, oh, and good. you have just dished out at like at least five. That carry on <laughs> for sissies. Um, so if you yeah, so you need you need to have a bit of backbone to do this. Why is it hard? Because everybody else is coming down the other way. Have you ever tried walking up a down escalator? Yes, and if you're not so fast, you're still going to get carried down to the bottom, just not as fast as everybody else. 
And if you do a really good job of it, you can actually maintain a higher standard of health and physiologically turn back the age clock. People say it's a myth. It's not a myth. You can turn back the age clock when you're comparing to the the rate of aging that people do. And there's a difference between being old uh, and aging. Let's be very clear about this. Are we all old? Yes, we're a second older than we were a second ago or a minute ago or a day or a year ago. How are we aging? So it's about the condition that we have for the time that we're here. And people in our generation, Natalie, and even older, uh, have the prospect of living an active lifestyle, an active life beyond 100 years of age. Now, a lot of people say, I don't want to live beyond 100 years of age. It's going to be miserable. Yeah, well, no, you don't want to be kept alive to 100 years of age. Mm But if you're 100 years of age and you're still out, you get your driver's license every year, you know, go water skiing with the great-grandchildren, you can go climb a, climb a hill if you wanted to, ride a bike if you wanted to, those sorts of things, and then just one morning wake up dead. That's kind of, that's kind of the way that most people would want to, would, would want to live that life if they lived that uh, time. But the thing is, you know, medical technology can help us get there, but it won't work if we don't have a great foundation to build it on. And so that's our message. Build that foundation now. Get strong, get fit, get healthier. Become well-nourished. Become intelligent about your nutrition. Become tactical and strategic about your sleep, rest, and recovery strategies. And that will put you in a much stronger position to be able to utilize to the maximum the interventions or protocols that you might choose to adopt to help you get there successfully without having to rely on something that's dictated to you from which you are likely to suffer quite badly as you age. You paint a good picture, vitality right till the very end. And for those people listening, if you want to be held accountable, you can send us a message. Let us know what you are going to possibly lovingly let go of or lessen in your life. It might be that nightly wine or the going to bed late thing. Um, Or maybe you're going to adopt something new. Maybe it is the gym, doing weights at the gym. Let us know. You can send us a text 2057. Tim, I'm going to take it in a slightly different direction because you having this gym that you do in Timaru, by the way, shout Mm. out to Timaru, where I first moved to all the way from Toronto to Timaru, New Zealand. Um, And my grandmother actually used to live there and she got married in Timaru. Uh, So shout out to Timaru. But at your gym, you're in this unique position where you have almost like this small study of people whose health you know and you've seen... Um, over the years, have you got any insight into how people's health has changed? And I guess I'm really asking around um, people that are maybe vaccinated, unvaccinated. Have you noticed any any trends? I see where you're going with this. <laughs> and the answer is, without question, yes. Um, we take a more hands-on approach to the health of our members than than many clubs, particularly uh, not so much experience that we have in New Zealand, but certainly overseas where there's a lot of these 24-7 clubs that you can sign up online and you get given a code and you can just turn up to the gym and enter your code and you're in the gym doing whatever. There's no sort of supervision or anything. You just It's a tick box thing to make sure you just haven't had a triple heart bypass operation uh, and, and that sort of thing. There's no you know contraindicators that are going to flag up. Uh, but in our club, we, we are quite involved. We spend at least half an hour sitting down with every person that comes in as a member and get their medical history, their injury history, their training history. So we know pretty much well, in some cases, more than their doctor knows about them and what's going on in their lifestyle. 
but also we're discussing their problems, how it affects them. You know, are, are they do they have an injury that's affecting other things of their life? Does it mean they can't get the job they want to get? Are they you know want a disability benefit? You know, all these sorts of things. Uh, so we have quite a good handle on that. We we speak to them on a daily basis as well. It's a very finite set. So our 500 members, uh, we know all of them by name and we know everything about them. What we have seen, uh, and in your introduction, you alluded to the fact that during during the lockdowns, apart from the initial lockdown, well, we nobody sort of knew what ground we stood on. Um, once the the amendments and the Health Act and, and all those sorts of things came out, we were able to navigate through that to the extent that we said, you know, actually, we, we are going to stay open. We're not going to discriminate against those members who desperately need our help and desperately need to keep coming into the gym through this time to manage their stress, to help with depression, to to keep their mind and their bodies in the shape that they should be and could be to be resilient against whatever is going around. Um, and and once we made that stance, and we got a lot of pushback from some of our members who were saying, oh, what you're doing is dangerous, this is not right, and 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 we had to make a very bold move to say, Do you know what, we're we are going to stand for the people who need us more, uh, and remained open, and we were able to successfully navigate a legal way to do that, and main, you know maintain uh, maintain compliance, if you like, but also serve our members and serve Timaru in the best way that we could. What we've noticed since, however, is a lot of our members who uh, were in the peak of health. Uh, Suddenly, and not just overnight, but suddenly over a period of time, and I'm talking three, six, 12 months, have become desperately ill with mysterious diseases, chronic fatigue, excessive muscle soreness, foggy headedness, forgetfulness, even blackouts. Uh, there's never been any history, never, never any contraindications in their medical uh, information to indicate this would ever have come up. We have lost three of our members who have died. Uh, one of our, our one of our old members was a personal trainer in the peak of health. You know, went for a run, came home at, uh, in the afternoon, sat down, and, and passed away for no reason apparently. And we're seeing this um, in quite a large percentage of our gym population, but we're not seeing it in those who we know are unvaccinated. Now, that's not a study; it's not empirical evidence. That's purely my observation, purely anecdotal. But to me, it's significant because we know these people. We work alongside them every day, and then we're working alongside their struggles that have come out of nowhere, apparently, um, but we believe have come from this whole uh, agenda that's been in place in the country um, to adopt a medical a medical intervention, which was unproven and is now actually proving itself to be uh, somewhat dangerous and possibly lethal. Yeah, there's so much in in that, in everything that you said. And it really relates um, a lot with two interviews that I did last week. I talked to Steve Oliver, who also is a gym owner, and he's currently undergoing like legal um, battles, mm. really, uh, because of remaining open. But he also talked about how the youth, the people, they just needed the gym. Like, so I can, I really hear that coming from both of you loud and clear. I also spoke with Bridget Clare about um, reconnecting to nature, but we talked a lot about health and wellness and a lot of work she's doing around helping people to detox from the impacts of the jab as such. Are you seeing people being proactive around trying to stay healthy and well when they realize there is something going on with their health? 
like, are they able to turn things around? I guess I'm saying, are they able to walk up that escalator a little bit once they realize? Do you know what they are? I, I, I think it's proportional to the number of times they've taken that treatment um, in terms of the degree of damage that's, that they may be susceptible. And some have gone through that fine, completely asymptomatic, no problems yeah. at all. Um, but the significant number have, uh, in my view, an unacceptable number have. Um, I think it's plotting a path ahead. There's a lot of things people can do, and there are protocols that people can follow to help detox their system, if you like, from this and to reduce the effects of spike protein. Interestingly enough, throughout this whole uh, COVID business, uh, less than 2% of smokers caught COVID. Uh, now, I find that a very interesting statistic, and it turns out that nicotine seems to have a very uh, robust protective effect against the spike proteins uh, that were produced from the vaccine. So um, that's a good thing. And interestingly, at the time, there was a huge push by the government to stop uh, the sale of nicotine in cigarettes and, and push people into vaping, those sorts of things. Now they're attacking that because there's still nicotine in it. It's become increasingly harder to find and buy nicotine patches, which a lot of people were using as a as a strategy or a protocol to use. So there always seems to be an agenda. As soon as we come up with a health protocol that's going to help protect people, boost their immune system, there's a, there's a push against it. Even the, even the availability and the agenda to try and shut down the availability of a lot of vitamins and minerals and, and supplements that people can and should take uh, to boost to boost themselves up. Uh, one thing we've found is we're trying to encourage people to stop using their mobile phones as much as possible, not because we think mobile phones are a terrible thing or people are too connected. We see this a lot in adolescence, of course, they can't stay off the things, but um, particularly around the issue of EMFs or electromagnetic frequencies. And um, using your mobile phone less, particularly if you can use a headset instead of holding it up against your ear. And that's even that's official advice that you shouldn't allow children to do that for extended periods of time because it just starts affecting their, their, um, their, their brain frequencies. Well, that's all part of... Um, preventing people from getting well again or, or achieving optimal health. One of the lectures we went to in in, uh, in Bangkok at the medical conference there, uh, there was an anecdotal evidence where um, a practice was dealing with people who had mysterious symptoms of chronic fatigue, foggy headedness, forgetfulness, all the things that you would as associate perhaps with mercury or aluminium poisoning. Um, and yet their scores were clear. Their, their detox scores, were their heavy metals were perfectly clear. Um, and it turned out in one particular case that got them onto this, they said to this woman, what do you do for a job? She said, well, I'm a merchandiser. I'm a rep. I spend all day in the car and in the supermarket. They said, in the car, what sort of car do you drive? So it turned out she drove a Tesla. Now, EVs are probably one of the most connected vehicles on the planet when it comes to um, electromagnetic frequencies. Now, that's one issue which I think is, is important. They then said to her, well, listen, as an experiment, because everything we're trying isn't making the effect that it should be. Um, drive your husband's conventionally powered vehicle instead, swap cars. So she did. And within six months, she was recording completely normal levels of functionality and cognition and everything once again. So I think that's worthy of more study and deeper study. There's something there that, that people haven't researched and isn't, is going on, I think. The other thing is I'm starting to question is the use of the batteries themselves. Is part of the EMF problem to do with the battery themselves. When you think about EVs, 
It's not just a mobile phone. It's a little tiny sliver of a thing the size of a credit card. You are sitting right on top of a massive lithium-ion battery mm -hmm. encased in a steel cage, which if anything was going to act as an amplification aerial, that would do it. Also, that vehicle's connected by sat-nav. It's connected to, to the, you know, the manufacturers. It's connected everywhere. Um, so I'm starting to look very carefully at that and advise clients, see if you can reduce your connectivity and your exposure to these things as much as possible. Um, now, we're trying lots of things all at once, nutrition, exercise, all these sorts of things when we consult with clients. So it's unclear what's making a difference, but we are certainly seeing a difference, a big difference in people, in their energy, in their memory, the cognitive capacity. The their, EV their issue patterns. is a big one because there's so much um, push at the moment around that um, you know, climate responsibility and and carbon emissions and all that kind of thing around EVs, right? Making EVs mm, popular mm. and cool and av ever available. What do you think about that? Because I that doesn't ring true to me. Well, I, I well, I guess it depends who you hang around. Um, but yeah, let's just say it was another thing that my loved one and I disagreed on when our daughter was choosing a car. So mm. I'm very concerned about EMFs, and that is not a shared philosophy. So it's tricky. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are being encouraged to get them because they. here's the thing, they save money on petrol. But I'm saying, but at what cost to your health? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I think there's nothing wrong with a cautious approach to everything. And that's what we've lacked in the last three years is a cautious and considered approach. So look, actually, look, let's take take some time to review all the evidence and let things run their course on this path and that path and set up some tests and studies and see what actually happens rather than a headlong rush. And And in many cases, a lot of the protocols and strategies put in place just don't make sense at the moment. We have no infrastructure to support the number of EVs that people are, are, mm -hmm. and, uh, are pushing. And I go back to an old program, I don't remember from the, even back from the 70s and 80s, was Judge Judy <laughs> on television. She was a favorite of mine because she sort of had the hard edge of justice there. One of her sayings was, if it doesn't make sense, it isn't true. Uh, and I think that's something that we probably need to bear in mind when we, are, we, we get all this information coming or being thrown at us. We need to sit back and, and, and say, okay, let's assume nothing, consider everything, look at the evidence, look for motive, maybe also follow the money. Who's making an awful lot of money out of this and who's losing? What are we losing? Are we losing our freedoms? Are we losing our health? Are we losing our capacity to relate to people in a normal way? Are we losing our biological identity? You know, what's the cost of all of this? Where Where is this heading? And if it's not in a good place, what can we do about it? And again, that's, that's where we're trying our best to help people get on the right path and saying, hey, listen, here's three things you could start doing that will turn this around and start heading in the right direction. They're not going to tip your life upside down, but they're things that you can do that will start to make a difference. Well, you've and given us a big range of- that's probably a good thing for of, people to think uh, about. Exactly. You've given us a huge range of options um, and ideas for people to really think about. Back to the connectivity before I go to mm. my four questions. So I wear those dorky earbuds, you know, that like just like hanging like strings down, like old school. Um, is that better than the AirPods or am I just fooling myself? Absolutely. Well, I, I think so. I think it's better. And, and we've seen a lot of, uh, a lot of studies that support our stance. 
because I'm totally on board with you, and so is my wife, Anne. We have a campaign to, you know, our grandsons wear them. They think they're very cool. People in the gym wear them, and that's always like I imagine you see tons in the gym. You're connected by Bluetooth all the time. What is that doing? Because this is not just a receiver. It's a transceiver, so it's sending signals as well as receiving them. And if you hold one of those up to – we used to do it with mobile phones for a laugh in the speaking industry. You know, when you're doing sound checks, you're going to hold a, a mobile phone up to one of the big PA speakers, and you could hear it going – it's the signals coming out. Well, that's right in your head. That's in your brain. Mm. For many years, when the first people that started using those were corporate drivers. So the guys that meet people at the airport and they got the sign, you know, and and that, and they all had these hands-free Bluetooth things yeah. in their in the side of their heads. And we're like, that can't be, that can't be good that close to your head to have not only just a mobile phone, but it's something that's transmitting and receiving right like in your ear, not just against your head, it's in your ear. And so, I mean, in our household, we turn everything off at night. So at night, the internet goes off, the Wi-Fi goes off, the the router, um, our TVs are all turned off. Everything is turned off in the house except the fridge, pretty much. And in the morning when we get up and we want to use the internet, we'll turn the internet on and use it. But nothing is left on all the time because I don't think it's a great thing to have all these um, frequencies and waves slamming at you we're lucky enough to live quite a way out of town so we're not exposed to that to the same mm. degree but even so we still we you know even the televisions are not left on standby everything's turned off at the wall um so it's a, even, it's a cumulative even effect, the blender but... the blender's turned off at the wall okay tonight, so okay i'm gonna get reason. a little bit I, i'm pretty good at that but not as good as you the cumulative <laughs> effect is the concern and not just over time but also all, you know all, everything adds up what about, like you said, you live a little bit further away. What about people that live, let's say, in an apartment building, so they're surrounded by lots more people, or in an office space where there's tons of people and there's lots of phones and lots of laptops and lots of Bluetooth? Is that going to have more of a negative impact? Yes, it will. I think so. And there isn't a lot you can do about it. There are products, I think there's one called, I don't know, Guard, Guard something, where they they make garments that are that have supposed protection built in and you can wear sort of uh, am, amulets and necklaces and things like that that can they can help as well ultimately the idea is not to spend not to spend so much time in and around those like all our mobile phone calls are made using a headset and by the way it's a, it's a it's not a digital headset so half of that headset is actually just a hollow tube there's no signal coming up through that it's just the hollow tube which has this sound coming to your ears uh, and trans transmits it the same way. Um, so the microphone transmitter is held in a little unit that's down, you know, uh, under your neck level. What about the There's earmuff some... ones? So it's not like the AirPod that's in your ear. Is mm. the earmuff one any better or no? If it's if Bluetooth I... and it's wireless, it's, it's... I don't think so. I think it would be doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, we see these Dr. Dre and Beats and all those sort of things that people are wearing. Again, we see them a lot in the gym, people walking around town, you know, um, singing to themselves, which is... Fabulous. You know, there's nothing like good music to to get you through life. I'm a big believer in that. Um, but I I don't think that's a smart idea. We just do not know enough about uh, about it. And when we're starting to see evidence, anecdotal evidence for sure, but it but that's still evidence. That's still in real life things are happening that are affecting people in a bad way. Uh, then we need to to take notice of that and say, oh, do you know what? I, I might just take a more cautious approach on this. And I have a saying, no one ever made a better decision with less information. <laughs> so, And sometimes it takes time to get that information in order to make a better decision. But we have time on our side to do that if if we step back and, and, and take a view that 
we need to do some more research. We need to do our own research on that and listen to a balanced view on things and make decisions accordingly from there. Yeah. And it comes back to what are we putting in and on our body and to loop back to where we started, you know, what are we doing with our body in terms of the gym? I'm really proud to say my parents, Parents, my dad just turned 80. My parents go to the gym. They live in Wellington um, oh, multiple times a week. And they do, they do do some weight training and everything. And they're small like me. We're pretty like, you know, I'm potentially frail. So I need to do some low, you know, n- you know, not too heavy, but some, what is it? Lots of reps, but not too heavy. Weight. No, heavy. It's people oh, who heavy. lift heavy weights, not high repetitions. Okay. So you need to be lifting what they say. You need to be lifting between 70 and 80% of your one repetition maximum. So that if you can lift a weight, say it's 10 kilos one time, then your training weight should be six to eight kilos that you're working with. Now, a lot of people think, oh, God, that's so heavy. I, you know, I'll build muscle and get bulky. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> the chance of you getting bulky from lifting weights, particularly for female, is almost zero. Okay. Uh, unless you you're taking it seriously, like a professional female bodybuilder or somebody like that. Um, and, and the thing is, your chance of getting bulky is, is reduced against the bulk that you'll lose by getting better metabolism and burning the fat off. That may be the thing that's slowing you down. Um, and so, building that muscle with that is 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 important. And and I see it in the gym, and you would have seen it, Natalie, as well, if you're in the gym. Um, men not so bad. Men have the opposite problem. When they go into the gym, they see some guy down the back, like, you know, we used to have a member we nicknamed Mental Norm. Uh, and Mental Norm you'll find in sort of any gym in the country. And his, Mental Norm is about five foot ten from top to toe and shoulder to shoulder and chest to back. He's <laughs> just this incredible ball of muscle. And he had, you know, big mohawk and one eye in the middle of his head and teeth and, and lifting phenomenal weights. And all these young fellas would come in and think, I want biceps like that. And next thing you know, they've got six months in the physio. Yeah. Women, and I'm generalizing, sure, but women tend to have the opposite problem that they lift too light. And I go down I the gym and they've got like two kilo weight and they're up and down and they're, while they're on their phone with their other hand. You know, and I'm like, what are you doing? Your your handbag is heavier than that. You know, what, what are you wasting time? You need to lift heavy to stimulate the muscle matrix and stimulate the bone uh, matrix. A study years and years ago done by Dr. Bonner, who I think was with the Cooper Institute, and Kenneth Cooper, who coined the whole word aerobics, ended up changing his facilities to incorporate and, and prioritize weight training as in addition uh, to aerobics. And they noticed in their studies, particularly Dr. Bonnick noticed that in one particular case, they had a woman who was chronic osteoporosis. In fact, I think she sneezed and fractured a vertebra. Um, but they noticed within, I think it was 12 months of weight training, she not only halted osteoporosis, but increased the density of bone matrix by 3%, which is phenomenal. But we never hear this on the mainstream. Uh, you know, the, and, and these studies now, there's thousands of studies that validate that. Uh, so definitely Look. lifting heavy weights is the solution, not lifting light weights often. Got it. Got it. Well, you've definitely inspired me and and maybe a few others to to lift some more weights. Sorry, you, you, you got, you got me up on my you. podium there for a second. I do apologize. <laughs> um, okay, Tim, what is one thing you've done in the last year where you truly upped your brave? Um, I would I would say we've taken our stance up another level. Like we were reasonably strong through through the so called pandemic. On our stance with with health and 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 not discriminating against people, 
But we've gone up another level again and are now actively challenging narratives that come our way and say, no, hang on, look, this, this actually is wrong. You, this is not correct. It doesn't make sense. Um, why would you be doing this when you should be doing this? Or the natural way of doing things is doing that. You know, even this whole push towards, you know, plant-based food and, and not eating meat and killing the farming industry, that is completely nonsensical, is not validated by science in any way, uh, and is something that we should push back pretty bloody hard on. And so we're we're making a more of a stand, which means then you are sticking your head above the parapet, mm. and I'm copying more flack because of it. But I also find that when we're when we have our roots embedded in the scientific community, we're seeing that uh, we are supported in that. There is support, overwhelming support. And this conference that we went to, overwhelmingly, in fact, I don't think there was a single dissenting voice against the madness of what's happened in the last three years. It's been so unscientific and so um, anti-scientific, if you like. Uh, and even things like common myths, this whole myth about cholesterol. I mean, that was absolutely slammed in the conference. And these are 500 of the top doctors in Asia Pacific. Um, has been a whole nonsense. And you have to think, well, why Why is that? Uh, and part of that, you know, are we going to get put the whole nation on cholesterol-lowering medication? If so, why? Because it hasn't made a damn bit of difference to the heart disease statistics in the last 10 years when that's been done. Uh, uh, but then what's the purpose of it? Well, I don't know. Maybe someone's making billions of dollars out of it. Yeah. You know, follow the money. Um, so that's I, I one mean, thing I, love I think everything we, we've you're been saying, a bit more I... stronger with. Yeah, I love everything you're saying, and especially someone like you with such a vast um, years and years, so much knowledge, so much wisdom, and the credibility that comes with that. When someone like you says that, I think it will get others who maybe previously hadn't really thought about things from this perspective to go, huh, you're right. That doesn't actually make sense. I'm not really sure why we do it. And I, I just, I think the trickle down effect of that is amazing. The next question is about the bucket list. What is something on your bucket list that you'd love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime, in your hundred plus years um, that we can possibly help you with? There's two things, if I may, very quickly. One is I would love to see people re-embracing and reconnecting with their ability to, to think critically. <laughs> and I think when you're in a state of fear, your brain switches off. You go back to your fight or flight brain, and you become actually incapable of thinking logically and sensibly and reasonably about things. And I'd love people to start. Like people use waking up. I don't. I don't like that phrase so much. But I think people just start to reactivate their power of critical thinking and reactivate the amygdala in their brain and start working properly and effectively and efficiently again. In terms of my bucket lists, um, as you know, I'm a professional corporate speaker, so this is how I how I earn my money and, and pay the grocery bill and um, support all our grandchildren's birthdays and Christmas. Um, so I'm always looking for opportunities to get in front of an audience, particularly a corporate audience, because that often means that these are people who are motivated by you know, this is how they earn their money, by how they perform and how they stay in the game. Um, so getting in front of business audiences particularly is something I've, I've found to be um, an avenue where I can be most effective at reaching people the best and helping people the best. Uh, so any opportunities like that, if you work for a business, if you're influential in a business, if you own a business uh, and you are looking for a conversation uh, that will make a difference in your business about health and well-being for your people, um, then, then um, that's the sort of opportunity I'm I'm looking for. And I know you're a very busy man. How do they find out um, how to book you or inquire? Where can they um, connect with you online? 
Well, I'd love people to connect with me anyway, because I think there's a lot of conversations that, that, that we can have, and it's good to know that there are other people who are like-minded individuals. Um, so I'm on, I'm on Facebook, if you look for Tim Bean. I'm also on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is probably the best for you know business conversations and, and business contacts. contacts. Um, but if you're looking at something to help me out with um, with speaking opportunities, uh, my agent in New Zealand is Celebrity Speakers. If you look up Celebrity Speakers there in Auckland, uh, and have a chat to them, put through a request, uh, and and that's probably a good way to get hold of me for, for, for that type of thing. Amazing. I'm on Celebrity Speakers as well. Um, what is coming up for you? What other speaking gigs or family birthday parties have you got coming up in the next few months? Well, as I said in November, I've just uh, uh, secured a, a three-day uh, event in the Philippines, so that'll be nice. I had thought the speaking calendar was pretty much over for the year, so we could sort of, you know, settle back a little bit and take a breather. It's been a very busy year, uh, so that's coming up next. Uh, and then I think after that, then we can sort of buckle down. We've launched a program in our club called Fear No Mirror, <laughs> Fear No Mirror, mm. where we're helping people uh, get in better shape, feel better about themselves, and and how they feel. So by the time they get to Christmas and they you know, go away with the family to the beach, up the lakes, or whatever, you know, they can get into a swimsuit or a bikini and feel feel uh, better about themselves. So that's uh, quite full on because we work with those people on an individual basis uh, to get the best results uh, for them on that. So that's going to keep us busy up until the beginning of December. What is the then gym I think called? If, can we run. follow you guys on Instagram with the? Oh gym? yeah, I'd love you to. Yes, it's Performance Health Club. Performance okay. Health Club and Timaru. We've got a we're on the Facebook. Great. Well, but that's another thing we can do. We'll give you a bunch more followers. Performance Health Club. Um, but we, I'd love to find out um, how that journey goes. I don't know if you're posting about the fear no mirror, but that's a cool concept. Um, well, yes. We're, so obviously, we can't sort of share the client's results. That's highly confidential. But we're expecting them in eight weeks to be losing. Uh, if weight loss is one of the markers we're looking at, probably between six to eight kilos uh, in time for Christmas. But the thing is, what we're drumming into them is your weight. The fat that you're carrying is a symptom of the things you're doing. If it gets too much, it can start to be causal to your problems. But for most people, it's symptomatic of the things you're not doing right. So we're using that as a marker. Um, hey, Tim, before we wrap up, what else would you love to share with our audience today? I'd like to leave them with a question if if that's not a, a, an inappropriate thing to do, Natalie. And it's not a question I want an answer to, but it's a question I would like people to ask themselves, and it's this. At what age... Would you consider it a smart idea to stop taking the best care of yourself? At what age would you consider it a smart idea to stop taking the best care of yourself? Because I often very sadly see that people have. And if you ask that question, come up with an answer that's anywhere between 1 and 110, it's probably the wrong answer. <laughs> Um, so if I could leave you with that question, and, and if you think there are things that you can do differently to change that, don't go overboard. Don't change your life. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just think of three little things that you can do from tomorrow that would start to make a difference. We've discussed a few of them today, but just three little things that you could put in place, write them down, share them with somebody that you know and love and trust who can help hold you accountable as well. But ultimately, it's you. You're accountable. It's your health. It's down to you to do it. And that's probably the message I think I'd like to leave people uh, with today. Love it. Thought-provoking and powerful. Thank you so much, Tim. An absolute pleasure and a great privilege to uh, to be on your show. Thank you so much, Natalie. And I'd so appreciate 
I've been following you, listening to you on RCR, uh, and I, I and I really appreciate everything you're doing and the people you're bringing on board and the information that you're making available to people. I think it's um, uh, it's just it's just marvelous. It's wonderful, and uh, I do hope people take on board the things that they hear and assess and evaluate and apply them to their lives. Thank you so much for that as well. Yeah, I think I think it is making a big impact. And thank you everyone for listening today. We've been talking to Tim Bean on the topic of no excuses, the hard edge of health. Thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tim Bean. Probably the longest interview I've done so far. We could have talked all day. I had the honor of meeting Tim in person. This is probably, gosh, maybe eight months ago or, or maybe a year ago when he was in Auckland in between flying. He's a bit of a jet setter speaking around the world. He was coming through Auckland and we met up and it was great. Um, we talked about so many things in this interview and we talked a lot about accepting responsibility, taking accountability for our own health. Totally resonates with what I believe. And I often say you are the CEO of your own health. So true. I think many of us learned that lesson. And um, he talked also about build before you burn. And he had so many incredible catchphrases. Uh, you can't have a lean body and a fat head. S uh, strong people stay young and many, many more. So many great insights and tips from Tim. And of course, you can follow his journey, Performance Health Club on Instagram. That's based in Timaru. Um, and definitely get in touch with him if you're looking for a powerful speaker for your business. He is the man. Uh, you can get in touch with him. Probably LinkedIn is the best. Otherwise, he did mention celebrity speakers as well. So thanks for listening to that interview. Keen to hear your thoughts. Keen to hear what you're doing to take responsibility for your health. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Up Your Brave show here with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on Reality Check Radio. And next, I'm talking to Sophie Kaiser. We'll be diving into the topic of finding joy and self amongst our busy lives. Welcome, Sophie. Thank you. It's amazing to be here. It's so good to see you. You and I went for a lovely beach walk with our dogs not so long ago. Yes, that was amazing. What a cool way to start off the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to learn more about your journey and how you can empower our wonderful listeners to find joy amongst the busy life, amongst their busy lives, because life is so busy. For those of you that haven't met or heard of Sophie before, Sophie Kaiser, also known as Sophie K, has always been a joy seeker. She has traveled the world and lived a full life while trying on as many hats through her time, including being a mom of two gorgeous girls and working in the creative industries as a designer and digital producer. As an entrepreneur, a vitality coach, and founder of The Thrive Guide, she has made it her mission to help busy people enjoy life again, smash their goals, and thrive no matter where they are in life right now. Amazing. Sophie, what a journey. Oh, it sure, sure has been, and I feel like it's only beginning. <laughs> yeah. So before we, we get into the details of finding joy, how did you get to this place of becoming someone that helps people with this Thrive Guide? I love the sound of that, by the way. How did this come to be? Tell us a bit more about your journey and your backstory. So um, I suppose my professional journey as a coach really started in my own journey uh, about a few years, oh, almost five years ago now, far out, it's been such a long time, I, I separated from the father of my kids and that was a huge shake up in my life. 
um, that, you know, meant financially things were changing. Obviously, my relationship um, had, um, you know, hadn't worked out. Um, there was navigating my own feelings around that. There was navigating my kids' feelings. And to be honest, it was a pretty overwhelming time. Um, and it was after that separation and having to go through the process of not just pulling the whole household apart, but also, as I said, navigating um, that with our emotions and our kids, um, that I fell into a pretty dark hole for a f- probably about three months um, where I essentially just survived. I just managed to get the kids off to school. I managed to go to work and I managed to just keep life going. Um, and I got to a point where I realized that I can't I can't keep going like this. I can't just keep surviving. Something's got to something's got to shift. Something's got to change. So I went into my own journey of self-development. I started doing self-development courses. I started to see different healers. And um it was through that beginning of my journey that all of a sudden I felt like I was lifted out of the sort of dark space that I'd been in and I realized wow. I'm so much happier now, even though the last few months have been really hard. I'm feeling so much happier now. I'm enjoying life. And um, I, I shifted my perspective quite a lot. Um, and it was that moment when I actually realized, hey, what what makes me happy? What are the things that I want to do in every life, What uh, everyday life? What, what do I want my career to look like? How do I want to do life from here on in? Because I realized actually, I have a new lease on life. Um, and it was through that journey of self-discovery that I realized that I'd been living actually most of my life as an adult in survival mode, in stress mode, just going through the motions and living life based on what I thought I should be doing. You know, family, get the house, um, have the job, do all of those things. But realize that just because we have all those things doesn't mean we're actually happy. It doesn't mean that we're fulfilled. It doesn't mean that we're feeling content. And so I went on on a journey inside and outside, which also involved a bit of a career change, um, really looking at, okay, where do I want to go? What do I want to do? And um, yeah, fast forward. Now I've been in this business for three and a half years as a coach, um, which I really, really enjoy. But honestly, the biggest journey of that has really been the transformation of me and the person that I've become in the process of that. And also not just as a as an individual, but also the kind of parent that I am now. And um, I, I suppose what I realized along the track is that so many of us spend our life just surviving. We go through the motions, we go to work, we bring the money in, we pay our bills, we, you know, we we help our kids, we we go through the motions of that, keeping the family together. But so often we lose ourselves in the process of that. Somewhere along the way, we stop finding enjoyment because we're just so stuck on on getting going through the motions. And I realized that actually that doesn't have to be that way. Through my own journey, I realized it has, doesn't have to be that way and that we actually get to have a lot of fun in our life and that we forget to have fun. Like it sounds crazy, but we forget to have fun. So many of us do. And what does it even mean? I mean, what fun means to me probably means something completely different to you, Natalie. But, you know, I've always been someone who 
who loved adventure and loved going out into nature and who loved going to eating at different places every week and trying different things. And I've always been someone who who really likes to to push their own boundaries. And um, I'd become sort of stuck in my life and 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 forgot to do those things. Um, and I think so many of us do that. So throughout that own journey and realizing that, I realized how valuable these learnings were. I realized how many of us are stuck in that. And it wasn't just me, because often when we're stuck in our rut, we think, oh, shit, it's just me. Sorry, which I don't even know I'm allowed to swear. <laughs> Sorry, I might have to cut that one out. But I get so, so stuck in our own life. And we think, we've, we've, yeah, we forget to have fun. And um, we we just get stuck in the emotions and we often, in the emotions and the emotions, we often don't realize that there's actually loads more people going through the same thing. Um, and I think that's what I realized throughout my journey. And that's what's really been driving my business is I literally help busy people enjoy their life again. Um, and and it's it's magical work. It really it really, really is because not just does it impact them on a personal level, it impacts their families, it impacts their friends, it impacts me, it impacts absolutely everyone in this world. And if you thrive, then that's good for me and vice versa. So that's a little bit about my background and I suppose what, what got me here. Yeah. Fun is such a, it's such a simple thing, but such a critical element. And it's such a different energy than goals, right? Or obligations. And I think there's never been a better time right now that to kind of revisit what is fun to me. So for those of you listening, let us know, you can send us a message, what maybe, or just do it yourself, write a list of five things that you consider to be fun. And I don't know, as a, maybe as a little um, challenge, aim to do at least three of those things in October. Um, right now, you know, as people are listening to this, we're about to find out, you know, tomorrow, depending on when they're listening to the election results. And for a lot of people, it's been a super stressful time, a time of unsurety and unsecurity. And it's like taking back our power by realizing that by having more fun in our life, we can shift the way we show up. So definitely send us a text if you want to share what is fun to you, 2057 on the text or email inbox at realitycheck.radio. Um, I'd love to know what's fun for you other than walking your dog, Sophie. <laughs> what's fun for me is um, going to different places with with my kids. I am definitely the parent who will go to jump or a trampoline park and I'll be on those trampolines with my girls. We'll be jumping and, and, and you know, being silly. Um, yeah, it's, it's those kind of things. I, I love traveling. I love seeing new places. I love meeting new people. That's a lot of fun to me, which makes sense because I'm in the people business. And that's why I love my work so much because I get to meet new people every single day and hear about their stories. Um, I think for me, fun, and I've realized this throughout my journey, is that fun isn't necessarily defined so much by what you're doing, but it's defined by how you're doing it. And the the energy that you're not just bringing, but also the energy that you're generating while you're doing it. I really truly believe that we can do things that aren't fun and we can make them fun and actually find enjoyment in it. Um, so yeah, those are some of the things I do for fun. 
For me, I'm definitely the mom that if we go to the skate park, meaning not skateboarding, um, rollerblading, then I definitely am keen to give it, you know, give it a go rollerblading or skating. But for me, something like skiing is not fun because I just feel like I I hate the cold. I'm I'd rather just sit in the lodge with the hot chocolate, to be honest. Um, But I I love that I seeing other people have fun doing what they love. But I think you're right about the energy. We can it's the way that we show up as well, not just the doing of the thing. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I don't know about you, but as an adult, I realized, you know, there's a lot of non-fun things we we do as people in our everyday lives. Um, but we get to we get to still do them and we get to switch them and do them in a way that actually still brings us enjoyment and fulfillment in our everyday life. I always say to my girls is, you know, I, I didn't enjoy changing all of your nappies, your five, the estimate, what, 500 nappies per child or something like that before they, um, um, before they are toilet trained. But we made it fun. You know, you get to play with your kids and you bring in the toys and you do raspberries on their tummies and, and those kind of things. And now when I think back at it, that's actually, those are such memorable moments for me. And I I really employ that in my everyday life. And this is something that I teach my clients as well, is how can we bring in enjoyment to the things that we wouldn't necessarily connect to as, as, as fun things? Because, you know, the reality is that we're busy people, we're running businesses, we're, we're um, you know, working full-time jobs, uh, we're carting our children around, we're doing things for the community. And, and some of those things are fun, but some of them aren't necessarily the things we would choose to do for fun, right? We can't always be at the trampoline park or at the skate park or um, out in nature at the beach and so on. But what we can do is bring a fun and an enjoy a joyful attitude to what we are doing. And um, what's incredible to see is that the people that I do see implement that, including myself, what happens is that our quality of life just goes through the roof. Um, the way we experience life really changes when we bring that attitude. I think that's a great reminder. It's something that we... Yeah, sometimes we think so much about all the things on the to-do list, but we can actually make them more enjoyable. I wanted to ask you a little bit about navigating feelings. I think you mentioned it twice when you were telling me about about your backstory. Um, How can we navigate our feelings? What does that mean, first of all, that phrase? And how can we, I guess in our daily lives, navigate our feelings in a way that is um, effective or positive? Yeah, I think, you know, um, one good thing that has, I feel, come out of the pandemic and the, the sort of the uproar that we've we've experienced over these last few years, um, is that talking about emotions has become more acceptable uh, within within workplaces, but also I think as people and as families. Um, so navigating emotions is a the reason I say that because navigating emotions isn't about stopping ourselves from feeling emotions or pushing emotions away or feeling more of certain emotions. Navigating our emotions essentially means becoming aware of what emotions are coming up for us Mm -hmm. and not making ourselves wrong for how we are feeling. And I see this in my line of work so often where, especially I meet with people who, who, you know, especially the clients that I meet that that seem to have everything on paper. They have the career, they have the house, they have the family, they have the friends, they have everything. 
but they've they're not feeling fulfilled. They're not feeling happy and they just can't work out why. And a lot of them are so ashamed that they feel that way because they keep telling themselves, I know I should feel happy, but just for some reason I'm not. So I think navigating our feelings, a big part of that is just acknowledging our feelings and allowing them to be, not shaming ourselves or making ourselves wrong for how we were feeling. And a part of navigating feelings is is really understanding that feelings are like waves. They'll feel really big in the beginning as they're building and coming towards the shore. But the closer the feeling gets to the shore, the, the closer it is to taping out. It is a wave. It won't always last forever. And um, I think when we can can really deeply understand that and know that, um, then we don't become scared of our feelings anymore because we know that this too shall pass and that we're not always going to feel that way. And and what's really important about feeling our feelings is that we're allowing themselves to we're allowing ourselves to feel them. So we're not shoving them away or medicating with with a glass of wine, which uh, honestly I'm pretty sure all of us are guilty of in one way or the other. Um, but learning to sit with our feelings. And I always say to my clients that when we are allowing ourselves to to feel all of life, so the anger, the frustration, the sadness, the disappointment, uh, the jealousy, whatever the feeling may be, we also give ourselves the ability to feel more of the enjoyment of peace, of satisfaction, of gratification, of gratitude, and all those fuzzy positive feelings that we, you know, most of us love feeling. Um, we we just allow ourselves to feel more of that spectrum of life. And I think this is where vitality really comes in. And also one of the reasons why I call myself a vitality coach, because I really believe that vitality comes from allowing ourselves to experience the full spectrum of life. And that involves letting ourselves feel the full spectrum of our emotions. I love the word vitality. I've got it in my tagline as well. I think when we met, I was like, I love that we have that same word. Um, Another one of my previous guests, Carrie Dell, she also uses that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, We do, we want to feel like revitalized and we want to feel, yeah, so we have more energy to do what we're here to do. Do you think that some people, you know, you talked about feeling our feelings. Do you feel like some people throw their emotions at others rather than feeling them themselves? Absolutely. Absolutely. And to be honest, you know, I'm guilty of that. Um, I think until I really created awareness around my own feelings, I wasn't aware that I was acting out of my emotions or throwing my emotions at other people. Um, because I kind of grew up in an environment where that was pretty, pretty normal. <laughs> and I think a lot of us have. So throwing our emotions at other people is definitely not dealing with them. It's essentially just passing on the energy. But what what dealing with our emotions means is is again allowing ourselves to feel them and allowing them to pass and sitting with them and not trying to put them anywhere. <laughs> In that mm-hmm. sense, not trying to put them on someone or shove them down or whatever you're trying to do with them, but just allowing them to actually be and sitting with that. And I find that is the most challenging thing when it comes to emotions. That's one of the things that that most of us um, are really challenged with because 
we do resist, especially those emotions that don't feel good. We don't want to feel them. And it's totally understandable. But we can train ourselves, just like we can go to the gym and we can train our body. We can train our our emotional body and we can train our body to be okay with these emotions and to allow them to flow. And again, it's such an important part of our our life. And it's such an important part when it comes to happiness and and enjoyment in life and and fulfillment. I think it's such a huge part of it. How much does the family culture impact that? You mentioned, you know, throwing your feelings at other people might have gone on in in your household. There'll be people that that are listening thinking, you know, well, we never really talked about emotions in my family. I don't even know how to start doing that. Or some families where like shouting and yelling is just the norm, but they're at least they're expressing their emotions. I don't know if they're exactly navigating them, but how much does the family culture impact how people are showing up today and their ability to, as you say, navigate their feelings? Huge. It's absolutely massive. What we grow up with and what we are being shown as is has a huge impact on how we how we operate because when we're little kids the only measurement to what is in question you know in quotation mark right or wrong are our parents um and and when we see our parents um for example throw their feelings at other people or get aggressive or um shout at, shout at each other then it's likely that we will do two things. We will either think that that's normal, and so we we do that thing ourselves when we're older, or we often react to that and do the the total opposite because it doesn't it didn't feel good. Um, so it really depends on each individual person and what our sort of I suppose more natural, more prone response is to to what we're seeing. But the environment that we grow in, grow up in, and that we're exposed to, absolutely has a huge impact on our level of happiness and the things that we learn and the things that we learn to be okay. So, for example, I think um, I think Tony Robbins said this that uh, he estimates sort of that the five people that you spend your most time with they have the mo- the biggest influence on you on the way you think, the way you feel, and what you think is possible for yourself in in your everyday life. And I think that's when it comes to vitality and happiness, that is also something that we have to consider because, you know, we can let go of emotions. We can work through emotions. We can work through habits. We can let go of certain ways of being and thinking. But sometimes, and this is probably one of the harder parts of this kind of work, sometimes that also involves letting go of different relationships that don't serve us anymore. Um and yeah, that's that's I think one of the hardest parts to to navigate when it comes to that sort of what I like to call the decluttering process mm. in our life. Yeah, and some of that we can control, and some of it we can't. I when you were talking right. about the five people, I was thinking in my head the power of five, and I was going through all the different people I've lived with. You know, meaning grew up in Canada, my family of five, and then university. I had a roommate, like literally just one other person. We got on really well. We had so much fun. So that was fine. Then, you know, moved to a flat of a house and lived with one of my flatmates had a snake. She lived in the basement and she had a snake. Um, she was quite alternative and interesting, but, um, but generally there were five, there were six of us and we had, here's the word, so much fun. We just, we got on super well. We just had so much fun, you know, and then the next year, some of the same people, slightly different, different house, fun. There's a big theme of fun for me going on, but I can see that as one grows up, 
you know, the people that you're not just living with, but spending your most time with, maybe it's a business partner or a best friend or whatever, massively impacts um, how you show up and what you consider to be like, okay, behavior. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Because if, if we see a certain behavior in our environment all the time, we start to become desensitized to it. Mm. We start to see that as our stat or as the standard, as as the norm. And it's only when we start to expose ourselves to different ways of being, to other, you know, other behaviors, um, that we start to be able to see actually there's another way, another way of life. So I think there is also um a positive thing when it comes to exposing ourselves to lots of different ways of life and lots of different types of people with different beliefs, different ways of doing things, different ways of processing their emotions, because we actually get to learn from those different perspectives. And I think that's for me where the power of coaching comes in, because I obviously have my own coaches. Um, and for me, it's, it's, and you know, with you as well, Nat, to be able to not just share our um, our different perspectives, but also when we differ on perspectives, that's when it gets to gets really interesting because I, I think when we're exposed to differences, to other ways of doing and being that we don't necessarily agree with, that's such a cool learning space to be in. And I really believe that we have an opportunity now as a society to embrace the variety of, mm. of life and the variety of, of how people want to do do life and, and not make each other wrong for that. Because I think that's what actually creates that fun and that vibrancy and that vitality, not just within ourselves, um, allowing all these things to be present, but also, also in our life. But that goes to say that, you know, if if we don't feel good around specific people um, or in specific environments, it's okay to say no and it's okay to step out of that. And I I, I like to really remind my clients and like my, my children, myself, I need that reminder too, that we get to choose our environment. We get to choose what we let into our lives and what we won't. We are the guardian of that. Um, and I think um, being in the modern world and the intensity of it, I think it's quite an intense world, we can sometimes forget that, um, that we actually do get to decide what we let in and what we don't. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think you're right. It's so good to have that discussion and that dialogue. So many times over the last three years, many people said to me, but can't you just agree to disagree? And I think there is a time and place for agreeing to disagree, but I think sometimes just agreeing to disagree just to keep the harmony can sometimes mean people aren't, they aren't allowed to feel their feelings. They aren't allowed to express their emotions. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. What emotions did you personally navigate or, you know, over the last three years, particularly, how was that journey for you? And um, how did that help you to become a better coach? Mm, that's an awesome question, actually, and the one that that comes to mind that is um, is rejection. So um, my father wasn't very, and this actually comes back down to my childhood because my father wasn't very present in in my childhood, um, and there was quite a few. It would take a really long time if I were to go go through all these instances, but there was quite a few sort of uh, very. Um, marking moments for me in my life where I felt rejected as a kid, rejected and replaced. And 
what I didn't realize up until actually the separation from the father of my kids, that I was living in constant fear of this rejection. Now, this this constant fear of rejection wouldn't just play out in my relationship. It played out with my children. It played out in my workplace. It played out with my friends. It played out uh, when I was reading a book, you know, the kind of way the ways I was processing stories. <laughs> It's actually, it's incredible now when I think back at it, the hold that 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 fear had um, had of me and, and my life. And um, so when I, when we separated, I felt this incredible deep sense of rejection, but it was so painful. And I have to say to you that the, the, the separation was probably one of the most painful things I've experienced physically as well. And it, and it really made me understand that emotion can actually really be painful in our bodies right that we're not they're not separate entities our emotions aren't separate from our body that's interconnected but it became so acute and I think that was one of the reasons why I sort of fell into what I call the the little hole for for about three months um that that I actually couldn't ignore it anymore I had to start dealing with it um because sometimes I think we avoid something. We avoid dealing with something because we don't maybe don't know how or it feels so painful and so difficult. We don't even know how to approach it that we just keep shoving it away and and, and not dealing with it. But it became so present and so obvious in my life um, that I realized, okay, I, I need to start dealing with with this this fear of rejection that I was carrying. And, you know, the way it is with healing journeys is that it's not a one-stop shop. You don't just go to a healer where you do one self-development course and poof, you are, um, you know, miraculously cured. Uh, I personally believe that that's not quite how it works. It's a layered process. Mm. So within those first few months after the separation, I really did some deep healing around that and really understood, okay, cool, this this pattern actually started in my childhood. This pattern is something that started with my dad. So I actually started to reconnect with my dad and I had my had conversations with my dad about this. And I, you know, was able to tell him that, hey, look, listen, I, I realized that, you know, when when this happened and you responded this way and you said this to me, this is how it made me feel. And not in a way to blame him, but just to be able to speak and say my piece. I really needed to to, for him to know. And I went in the conversations with absolutely no expectation whatsoever. But what I was given in the end was an absolute gift because he he's told me exactly what I needed to hear. He said, look, I'm sorry. I actually didn't realize that that's how it made you feel. I didn't have that awareness then. then. And it led on to a much deeper conversation around some of the things that he struggled with. And that was an incredibly healing process. So the, the, and that was the huge part. The first sort of, I suppose, you know, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're popping the cork of a wine bottle and it's, it's, it's the big first glass that you have. But I realized that there was more and more layers to it. So as I started my business, um, you know, these, some of these feelings of rejection started to resurface. If there was a client who didn't want to work with me, I would often go into what's wrong with me because, you know, often we, we, we think that if someone doesn't want what we offer, that it means something about us as a person, that we're not good enough or that we're not doing well enough or that this and that. Um, but it actually has nothing to do with that. <laughs> 
But what it does is that it, it triggers, it triggers our our wounds. So throughout the last three and a half years in the business journey, that sort of sense of rejection resurfaced over and over again. And the cool thing is now is that I can speak about it, that when it resurfaces, it's not a huge ball of emotion that comes mm. up. It's just, ah, okay, cool. I recognize what this is. All right, cool. Yeah, no, I'm I'm actually, I don't want to operate like that anymore because I know that I'm safe and I'm not being rejected and I can really talk myself through it. So, yeah. It's quite amazing when you get to that point. And, you know, I, I make a lot of reels on my Instagram and I was just thinking that song, whoa, there it is. Whoa, there it is. You know, when it comes up again and instead of being going back into that mode of like, oh no, oh my goodness, rejection, you're like, whoa, there it is. Okay. And you can observe and then you can go and do something about it. Um, coming from such an empowered place instead of coming from that place of victim or sadness. Absolutely. And actually, I love that. I'm going to forever be thinking song now every time something pops up. Yeah, no, yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, I remember my counselor saying this to me. Um, so even prior to the separation, I sort of, that's actually when my, my self-development journey really started off when I started to do some counseling around um, sort of, you know, the not feeling good enough. And one of the things she said to me, you know, Sophie, people have this, have this perception that when they unlock a feeling, especially an uncomfortable feeling, that it's always going to be with them, that it's always going to be this, this dragon that's going to come and eat you every time it gets triggered. But that's not the reality. And now I think back at what 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 wisdom she shared with me then, and I'm so grateful that she did that. Shout out to, to Dee Regan. She's amazing. Um, but yeah, she... She, uh, that helped me understand that we do become more powerful in how we deal with our emotions. It's like, again, going to the gym, it's like building a muscle. It's like riding a bike. You get better at it each time. And it's not going to feel as devastating as it maybe did in the first time you you felt it. Because let's face it, feeling our emotions isn't an easy task, especially when we are, you know, when we've avoided our emotions for many, many years. And I was definitely one of those medicating with alcohol um, in particular or food. That was a big thing I medicated with for a long time as well. And some people do it with work. Some people do it with exercise. Some people do it with drugs. Um, you know, some people do it with TV, uh, social media, whatever whatever the flavor, <laughs> flavor is. Um, but it will get better and it will get easier and it's worth it's it's really worth the process um can it feel a bit scary sometimes learning how to do that absolutely definitely and let's let's not sugarcoat that let's just be honest about that um but when it feels scary that's when you get to reach out and get some support around that because honestly I really believe in just the power of someone holding my hand when I go through something difficult and still to this day sometimes big stuff resurfaces and I know, okay, cool. I actually need some support around this. And it's not a show of weakness. I believe asking for support and asking for help is actually a sign of courage. I'm writing down a few things for our listeners. It's so good. It's like finding, so if the joy, if the goal or whatever is finding joy, um, how can we do that? Number one, what I'm hearing from you is acknowledging our emotions, you know, navigating the feelings Number three just then was, um, oh, I can't read my own writing. I'm asking for help. <laughs> uh, so, and, and something else as well. Is there anything else you want to mention before I move on to my final four questions around how our listeners can find more joy 
and um and self amongst their busy lives yeah i think um i think it's spaciousness creating spaciousness in our lives you know i think and and understanding that spaciousness needs to be there i'm going to explain in a minute what that actually means but spaciousness needs to be there for you to be able to express yourself and for you to be able to receive joy so on the other side of spaciousness is is contraction and contraction usually happens especially in our body when we're feeling something that's really uncomfortable when we're going through something that has actually activated our nervous system and caused a stress response because difficult emotions they do cause a stress response in our body or you know situations that that are tough for us to deal with and so naturally is what we do is we contract we contract and we hold and we stop breathing properly we do the little shallow breathing thing which most of us um, will probably um, you know if we pay attention to it we'll be able to see um, and when we're in that stress response when we're in that survival response because that's actually what the stress response is it is a form of survival trying to survive whatever is currently happening when we're in that contraction it's really hard to experience joy joy can be present in stressful situations joy can even be present in grief right if you've ever lost a loved one or um you know and you've been to a funeral or you've you've for example gone through a breakup and you had a conversation with your best friend about how how tough it is right now and your best friend says something really funny and you're just bursting out in laughter so joy can be present in those really difficult moments but to experience joy on an everyday level is really hard to do when you're constantly stressed Mm -hmm. when you're constantly stressed when you're constantly contracted so one of the biggest things we can do for ourselves is lessen the amount of stress we're exposed to and also help ourselves um, deal better with stressful situations because let's face it we can't remove stress from our lives we can't remove the possibility of stressful situations but we can get better at dealing with that Um, and and when we do that we actually create more space for joy and it's it's a natural progression there is just going to be more joy of it yeah which is pretty deal better to feel better that's right. Feel it to heal it. <laughs> nice. All right. Sophie, let us know, Sophie K, what is one thing you've done in the last year where you truly upped your brave? Yeah, this is a re- such a good question, that, because that's something actually I've been thinking about um, this this journey. So I, I actually engaged with a parenting coach uh, probably about four or five months ago, six months ago, actually. And the reason I engaged with her was because my children obviously go between two households and what I was realizing that sometimes that that was quite difficult for them because our households are quite different. So I really had to up my brave in that sense. Um, and and a big part of that was actually acknowledging that actually I'm I'm out of my depth here. I don't know, I don't know how to navigate this. And being able to be open and honest to myself about that but also to be able to own that not just in front of the coach but also also my family and 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 my children and I think um owning those things that's that's always a game changer for me um because when we own them when we own the things that that we're struggling with or that are not going well for us um we can really use those as a springboard 
to um, grow and to, I really truly believe, to bring more joy into our life ultimately. But yeah, engaging with that parenting coach and really doing that deep work and understanding what I'm as a parent bringing to the situation, realizing that, you know, actually I'm the leader. I'm the leader in this household. And so whatever is happening here is actually my responsibility and, you know, is is very much fueled by my energy and what I'm bringing and really having to own that actually I was still getting quite triggered about some of my kids' behaviors and that that was causing some of the situations. So having to deal with that and owning my own triggers, um, yeah, that was that was quite tough, but honestly worth it absolutely worth it because the relationship I have with my kids now just down the track it's so much deeper and more connected it's yeah amazing and and that just shows us you know the value of having a coach for the right thing at the right time especially when you get the right person for what you need so good on you for asking for help and bringing that person on board to help you navigate this time because you're of course you're not going to be an expert in this area you've never done it before no that is true What is something on your bucket list, something you'd love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime that we can possibly help you with? Yes, bucket list. Um, I set myself this when I was 19. I set myself this this ludicrous uh, dream that I thought was ludicrous then. Now I totally feel it's achievable. Um, Is that I want to travel every single country in the world. I want to have experienced or at least been in a country for a period in, in every country in the world for a period of time. But out of that sort of developed the dream of, because I actually spent some time in Mexico studying in, in my early 20s, and I've always felt drawn to South America. So one of my bucket list items is actually going back to South America, traveling South America, um, right from the bottom all the way up to the States and actually doing that together with my girls. So taking maybe six months off or a year off or working on the road, which is, you know, something that we can do as coaches, which is pretty cool. And and experiencing that together with, with my girls because there is a richness in that part of the world that I'm really drawn to. And for me, traveling has always helped me expand myself and expand my mind. And um, I learned so much about myself, (laughs) as well as obviously the countries and the people you meet. And yeah, so that's definitely a bucket list item for me. That sounds amazing. Hey, well, if anyone has any guidance, any advice, uh, travel tips, Mm -hmm. if you've been to South America and there's certain places you definitely need to go or other things, let Sophie know. Um, what is coming up for you in the next six months and how can people connect with you online? So um, actually next week, um, I'm running the second round of my 60-day refresh, which is my group coaching program. And I'm really, really excited about that because I'd actually only had the intention to run this once this year and it's been so popular. I've had so much interest that I'm actually running it for the second time. So it's a 60-day program, which essentially helps people who are a little bit further along in their journey to thriving. They know what that feels like. They know what they want in life, but they're needing some support on how to bring more of that into the everyday life. I like to see it as a recalibration. Um, so that's coming up next week. We're kicking off on Friday, which is really, really exciting. Um, but what I am also um, opening up is, is a few more spots to my Thrive Guide, which is my one-to-one program. And that's a real deep dive 
which helps my clients really, essentially, I take them through four steps, but it really helps them go from surviving, from living, so spending so much time in stress mode and survival mode and just running from one place to the other, um, helps them shift operating out of that and to, to start shifting to work from thrive mode, to actually figure out what thriving means to them, what fun means to them, what makes them happy, what doesn't make them happy. And I take them through this this, this four-step process, which on reflection, I realized that that's actually the process that I went through after the separation. Obviously, I didn't know I was going through a process because I was just making it up as I as I went. But the process is, is as follows, essentially, step number one is really looking at where you are right now, what's working for you, what isn't working for you, what does fulfillment mean, what does success mean, what's important to you, what are your values, what does values even mean, which, um, you know, was something that that I had no no idea about when I, when I first went into my self-development journey. And then uh, the second step is what I like to call the decluttering phase. I think this is such an important phase where we get to let go, let go of all the things that don't serve us anymore. We get to decide what we want to keep in our lives. And we also get to decide if there are certain things we do want to keep, but that we might want to change, right? And step number three is what I like to call the joy, the joy yourself stage where you get to do the fun stuff. This is where you bring all the fun things in. This is where we look at morning routines as well, evening routines. How are we structuring our life? But the key bit to that is structuring it in a way that actually works for us. Because a mum, for example, who has two kids under five, she's not going to have two times, two hours for her morning routine every morning. You know, it's just, it's just not, not realistic at that time of our lives. So what are the things that are realistic? What are the things that we do actually have time for? What feels manageable? Um, so that's really important. And, and stage number four is looking at long-term stuff. What does this mean long-term? What are some of the tools that have been really helpful? What's their backup plan? Who is their support network? Because I really believe we all need a support work network. And when we're clear on who that support network is, life becomes so much easier. So those are the two offerings that I that I have at the moment. So yeah, as I said, the 60-day refresh starts next week and then the one-to-one program I have a few more spots available, so I'm onboarding um, as I go. Yeah. I love the sound of that. Refresh has such a great name, and I love the four steps. So how can they find that? What's your website? Where are you on socials? Uh, I'm on socials under Sophie K Coaching. Um, You can find me on Facebook, and you can find me on Instagram, um, and you can also find me on LinkedIn under Sophie Kaiser. And I have a website, which is called sophiek.co.nz. Um, so in there it talks a little bit about um about who I am and you know what I kind of stand for and what do I what I help people with. But it also is a really cool way to give you an idea of of how I work. Um I like to think my website is is quite the the bright, the bright explosion. It's a lot of fun to surf. So yeah. Well, you certainly emanate joy. I mean, you and I are on video. I can see you. You're just like smiling 24-7. It's gorgeous. Um Amazing. What before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to share with our audience in general or on the topic of finding joy? Yeah, there is something I want to share. And what I want to say is that wherever you are right now, whatever you're doing, whatever is working for you, isn't working for you right now, whether you're feeling happy or not happy, whether um, life feels good or doesn't feel good or anything else in between, it's actually okay where you are right now. And please cut yourself some slack. Because in the end, I really truly believe we're all doing as good as we can with the tools that we have. 
And, you know, I'd love to to challenge you to just think about what's one thing you can do for yourself every day. So that doesn't mean, you know, doing something for your kids or doing something with your kids, but actually doing something just for yourself. Whether it's taking five minutes to drink your coffee without it getting cold, or whether it's, you know, going for a walk after work, even if it's just 10 minutes around the around the block, uh, whether it's it's taking 15 minutes at your lunch break to just sit and breathe, whether it's 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 sitting down in the evening or going straight to bed rather than sitting in front of the in front of the TV for another two hours and falling asleep in front of that. Whatever it is, but just give yourself something that truly is just for you. Because you know what? You deserve it. We all deserve to thrive. And it actually starts with us and us learning to prioritize ourselves. And that prioritizing ourselves is actually an important thing for other people too. Because if we're good, then we can show up for other people. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sophie, for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you, Natalie. It was such a blessing to be on here. I always enjoy our conversations. So thank you. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening as well. And you can send in your messages to 2057 or inbox at realitycheck.radio. Thanks. Well, it definitely brought me joy talking to Sophie Kay. We connected in person again this week. She came along to my Empowered Connections Business Networking Club. So I got to introduce her to some of my amazing people and see her in person, which was so much fun. She's got an amazing energy about her. And I loved all the things that she talked about. Um, Especially, I'm all about vitality. She talked about the power of spaciousness, navigating emotions, talking about emotions, um, and how that has actually become more accepted, thank goodness, than it was many years ago. The importance of feeling your feelings versus throwing your feelings at other people. I think we can probably all um, take a little reminder from that one. Good reminder. Uh, if you want to learn more about Sophie K, you can look her up, sophiekcoaching.co.nz. She's got her refresh coming up, and she also has her Thrive Guide one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching. You can learn all about that on her website, and she's also on Instagram. Want an easier way to listen to RCR? Well, you can now download the brand new Reality Check Radio app, both on iOS and Android. We've completed our beta testing and the app is now live. You can visit the app stores direct or find out all you need to know at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash app. That's at realitycheck.radio forward slash app. Our test bunnies have been hard at play to ensure you have access to everything. From listening to our live broadcast downloading some of our incredible interviews and checking out the latest blogs all from the very same app. So get listening and download the RCR app now. Welcome back, everybody. At this point in the show, I love to share with you a little bit of a flashback or a sneak peek, something I've got um, from the past or coming up. And today I'm going to share with you uh, what's coming up next week. This is one of my three interviews. This is my chat that I had with Aaron McLaughlin. He's based in Christchurch. And we talked about navigating the psychological triggers. I think the timing of this interview is so important because, of course, when you're listening to this, you've either voted or not 
Um, and, and depending on when you're listening to this, we know the outcome of the election. And there's also so many things going on globally at the moment, as always. Uh, but now, kind of more than ever, for me, it feels like the the, um, the breakdown before the breakthrough. I do feel positive about the future. I do think this is the Great Awakening uh, rather than the Great Reset. Those are my views. But I think a lot of people will be getting triggered by everything that's going on. And for that reason, I've chosen to share a little bit of a sneak peek into this interview. Definitely tune in next week so you can listen to the entire thing. Um, so here it is, Navigating the Psychological Triggers with Aaron McLaughlin. Let's talk about the topic, the Navigating the Psychological Triggers. Yes. What guidance, you know, with all the work that you've done over the years and knowing where Kiwis are at right now mm. and with everything we've been through, particularly the last three years, but even in the lead up to that, what are some of the triggers that uh, people are experiencing and what can we do about that? Well, I'll give you an example. I had an email sent to me just the other day and it was from a client who said, you know, um, the she, she was listening to the radio and there was the voice of the ex-prime minister who just immediately triggered her into a whole state of... Um, just such a myriad of emotions, anger, frustration, fear, um, depression, you know, all these different things and anxiety based on all of those experiences that had occurred over the last three years during that person's um, uh, place in, in the world, <laughs> in our world, you know, the name who won't be mentioned. But fundamentally, you know, that was an example of what, and that's kind of what st stimulated me to get in touch, which was, well, you know, and, and running groups, I run a courageous conversations group, have done for 18 months every week. And this is in early days, this was constantly coming up, constantly coming up. And when we when we're running groups, when we're running the workshops, when we're doing these things, it's just constantly coming up. People, you know, when we went and saw um the River of Freedom, you know, as soon as her yeah. you know, Jacinda came up, everyone's going, Oh, and there were some people kept felt violently ill. Now, I'm not gonna say that that's because of the person that they're responding to. It's the person's inner experience mm -hmm. as a triggered response to that. Mm -hmm. Now, the discussions we have around that is that the, just looking at my notes here, because I wanted to make sure I got a few of these right. The first thing about a trigger that's really important is a reframe. And NLP or neuro-linguistic programming, you know, is, is useful in this frame is that it, the reframe is, well, thank goodness we are getting this trigger because it's a sign that we're functioning properly. It's a sign that we're connected to what is right for us. It's a sign that we are still viscerally connected to our heart, our gut, um, a sense of right action maybe, um, uh, natural law even, if you like, not in the yeah, in the in the grounded in the earth sort of sense. And so when we have been through a significant event like we have collectively, as you know, in the in the realm of making our own decisions with respect to medical interventions, then I've been very artfully vague around how I go about this. Oh, you but can say anything on our show. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. We just try not well, to I mean, say it's it. just, you know, it's just we made our decisions to not get the jab and yeah. fundamentally that over a number of years meant that we were ostracized we were um there was a form of apartheid and there were vicious um 
discussions out there around what should be done about it, mm-hmm. um, even from our now prime minister and and you know other other members of of um, both political parties, actually all of the political parties, to be fair, and so the the uh, the thing that we still are able to do is go no, which is really fundamentally a yes to what we know what is right for us. So we're saying no, you know, stop with this talk, stop with telling us what we should do. What are we really doing? We're saying yes, I know what's right for me. I know what feels that I feels right to do, and this is what I need to do about that. And so that's a reframe that is really important in this situation. And also secondly, it's a there's a there's two psychological processes in um that are very very um powerful in our lives and one is an away from um momentum and one is the towards momentum. What I'm noticing with um uh, a lot of discussion um that's been going on pre and post election is this whole thing around um who how we were motivated to to uh, vote for mm-hmm. example and most of the motivation i had noticed um pre-election was an away from i don't want this to happen anymore i don't want this to happen anymore the challenge with that is is that there's no outcome direction there's no sense of what i what do i want as an outcome and when we switch the away from to a towards, we've, we're very much making a statement to ourselves of what do I want? One of the most primary queries we have when we sit down with a in a coaching situation is, well, and it's, a, it's a actually really good. When we get lost in conversation, we go, wait a minute, let's stop. Are we on track? What do we want? Mm-hmm. You know, and keep coming, and that's your towards. Because most people, when you sit, you'll know this, Natalie. When you sit down with someone in coaching, they can spend half an hour telling you what they don't want. They'll spend an hour telling you what they don't want. You know, and I, I agree. I was going to say the same thing in because I mm. in the, I'm more in the entrepreneurial business space, but the same mm. thing. But often it's a it's a kind of a backup option. It's like if they don't know what their goals are or their vision for the future mm. or whatever, we go, oh, they're like, I honestly, I'm so overwhelmed. I have no idea. Okay, no problem. Tell me what you don't want. You know, and that mm. is kind mm, of a yeah. starting point to get the ball rolling. That is easier for people, which is kind of sad, mm. but it does, it does move them towards what they do want. And um, and that's important mm. for do you, you know, that's important for people to in order to move forward to know what they do want. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us today for the Up Your Brave show, where we had three amazing guests. We talked to Janelle Fletcher, we chatted with Tim Bean, and we wrapped things up with Sophie Kay. If you missed those interviews, um, a range of topics from advocacy through to responsibility for your own health through to finding joy. Um, If you missed those, you can catch them on the replay. As always, we're keen to hear your thoughts. And hey, music suggestions. If you've got a song or maybe you're a singer, let us know. We can always uh, play some of your requests on my show as well. Um, Happy voting if you haven't voted already. Remember my message about taking what you see and what you read with a grain of salt. Even what I say, you know, use your own discretion, come back to your own intuition. And remember, especially during these times uh, when there's so much news and information around to make an intentional 
choice to raise your own frequency. You can raise your own frequency in so many different ways by the people you spend time with, by detoxing your body, decluttering your home, et cetera, et cetera. Um, speaking of raising your frequency, I had two guests on last week, Bridget and Joe, and they are both collaborating with me on our online course, which is called Raise Your Frequency, Empower Your Life. It started just uh, a few days ago. So you can still jump in because it's a six-week course. You can find that. You can also find um, information on my forest retreat where you can come and raise your frequency literally in the forest, forest bathing, um, also professional brand photo shoot and business coaching. And you can find all that information as well as info about my upcoming online networking event to Up Your Brave and connect with other amazing people. It's all there on upyourbrave.com. I will see some of you on Saturday night at the election night party. We've had over 2,000 people already register for that webinar where we're basically going to be commentating. We're going to be um, Zooming in with different people. Um, Cam will be up north. Uh, talking to some people at the, at the New Zealand First event. I, we're going to be Zooming into France with Peter Williams, who's over there. He's going to share some of his thoughts. And we're going to connect with Marie Buskey, and she's having a little mini party talking to people at her place. It's going to be very insightful. So join us. You can find it all on the realitycheck.radio website or the app. I would love to hear what resonated for you this week as we had so many um, interesting topics arise. And a huge thank you for listening as you do every week, or maybe this is your first time. I hope we'll have you back. And of course, a huge thank you to all my guests, not just today, but for the last, I think it's seven months now that we've been running the Reality Check Radio Show. And it is such a journey. It's my absolute honor to talk to people, which is what I love doing. I'm in my happy place and to bring this show to you. Um, big shout out to my team who also helps me put this show together. Emma, Dave, and the rest of the gang. Thank you so much, Reese. Um, and to everyone else, have an incredible week. And remember, as always, to up your brave. And I'll see you next week. Until then, this is Natalie Cutler-Welsh with the Up Your Brave Show. You've been listening to Up Your Brave with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on RCR, Reality Check Radio.